Hi everyone, and welcome to The Contrarians with Adam and Adir, the only pod that takes you behind the scenes and gives you the inside word on the world of tech and growth from the insiders. I'm Adam Schwab, co-founder of Luxury Escapes, journalist and angel investor. And I'm joined by my great mate, Adir Schiffman, executive chairman of Catapult Sports and serial investor. In today's episode, we go deep inside and look at the secrets of airline loyalty schemes. We talk about Maya's remarkable recovery and the horrors of lotteries. Dear welcome, episode 25. Here we are, quarter century. Welcome. <laughs> the trick is to put the first 25 runs behind you and just focus on the next ball, correct? You agree exactly, with that? Exactly. So out of those nervous teens, yes. into the uh, becoming a mature podcast. How was your week? My week was good. You'll notice I did a bit of an experiment today. I put on, I bought this badge with, you can see it on me for those not on video. It's half, it's an Australian flag and an Israeli flag next to it. It's a lapel pin. Yeah. I bought it from this tiny store run by some Koreans in the city <laughs> that had the Australian flag and every flag you could possibly imagine oh, right. together with it, which yeah. is pretty good. And so I thought I'm going to do an experiment and walk down the street and see if anyone tries to kill me. <laughs> and so far I'm intact. Yeah. Um, I got like, there were a few strange looks I got. People trying to kill you for other reasons, but the badge Well, that's the problem. The, the problem yeah. is there's no case control experiment of exactly. this, right? <laughs> like it might just be that they don't like me. <laughs> yeah. But I got a few looks and I looked back and smiled. They smiled back at me. So, so far, yeah. so far, so good. I'm intact. <laughs> I've got some things. You said it has my week, but I want to – I had all these strange experiences this week and so I want to th- do a fast Q&As with you yeah. about your opinions on these strange things. Go ahead. Okay. Let me fire away. First thing is I've got to listen a question to me to ask you. Someone asked me this question about you and I said, I don't know, okay. that's, that's a good question. So yeah. this is the question. You hate birthdays. <laughs> you hate New Year's Eve. Yeah. Anniversary. What's your position on anniversary <laughs> celebration? Well, I know my wife listens to this show, so uh, I think anniversary is more worth celebrating. Okay, because you successfully didn't get divorced for a year. Who is that? And I think it's a bit. It's a celebration of two, like two people's relationships. I think it's different to a birthday where everybody has birthdays. But if you let's say look at a fifty year, and my my in laws are getting close to fifty years. They got yeah. married so young. Um, that's a real achievement. Uh, so I think that I think anniversaries are, are, are more worth celebrating. Okay, because you've got because my theory on anniversaries is this: if you don't celebrate the anniversary this year, you won't have an anniversary to celebrate <laughs> next year. And the other question <laughs> with anniversaries is: what do you celebrate when you first met? Do you celebrate your wedding? There's That's like a, a there's a number of different anniversaries. What do you do? We do wedding, although we briefly know we first met in a pub in Angel in London, yeah. so, which I think was. On July 21st, I think it was. So we oh, sort of acknowledged that date, yeah. but it was it's more the weddings. But it, I'm very happy that you said you like anniversaries, that you celebrate anniversaries. That's good. What about this part B of this question very quickly? What about um, Luxury Escapes launch anniversary? You do anything with that, like birthday of Luxury Escapes or anything? Gabby and Hezzy have catch with the masters of that word. Because that is an achievement to not go broke. That is. No, right? that's more of an achievement. Every year. We, I find it a little bit self-indulgent. So we, and our, our anniversary, I think, was also – it was like July 23 or something like that. So yeah. we um, we don't – we do a best of the year. We did a best of all time campaign so during December and January. So we yeah. sort of celebrate it six months after because uh, we do a best of campaign then. So we do a really small birthday thing for Lux, but it's not a – I know Gabby and Hezzy used to do a big deal at Catch the Day over the mm. birthday thing. It's a nice – I think when you have an e-commerce, but you you obviously manage them. One of the challenges you have in e-commerce is how do you communicate with customers and not just get them and then have not them just ignore or delete the message, yes. which is becoming an increasing challenge yeah. as you get more and more communications. 
luxury have the advantage of having being travel porn and discounted luxury travel. So yeah, everyone likes you. Everyone through, likes but, that, yeah. But we've had other, other businesses don't have that advantage. What, what do you guys do with the businesses you run to try and communicate with customers? Well, it's tricky, isn't it? Like Daily Blooms, it's flowers. Yep. It's kind of a bit like luxury escapes. Like the customer base always wants to see stuff with flowers. Yep. But definitely, you know, the businesses I've been involved in, like I had a web hosting business with my brother back in yeah. the day. There's nothing good that you can send customers <laughs> about that. I mean, they don't want – they just want – it's it's basically a utility. Yeah. And so I think in that situation, the trick is that um, you just – unless you've got something that's very useful to say to your customer base, don't – contact them because you just piss them off. But yeah. Catapult is interesting. So Catapult has just brought in an internal investor relations guy who is an ex-NearMap guy actually who ran investor relations there. And he started – he said, there's so much sexy about this business. Yeah. You don't communicate enough with your investors about everything that's fantastic. And so he's just started this kind of newsletter to investors. Yeah. And it's got this incredible open rate and incredible consumption yeah. rate. So I think we kind of learned a lesson from him. We'll go back it, to the investor piece for a sec because yes. I want to definitely talk about that. But I want to just go back to the original question, which was consumer piece. Yeah. Let's look at a business uh, like Sleeping Duck, which you used to be very heavily involved yeah. in. Uh, and that's a – so I'm talking about D2C businesses where you might have a following – yeah, uh, and Sleeping Duck's maybe not a perfect example because it's a it's a rare purchase. But no, but the, the, you know those biz, those businesses sell sheets and pillows yeah. and okay, all. Okay, so it's a great example. Yeah. So, how often would you? I think a ten year anniversary thing for or three year anniversary for for a, sleep, for a Sleeping Duck actually does make sense. I think you do need a reason to communicate with your customers, and you can manufacture a reason. So I used to uh, be a shareholder in business called I'm a shareholder in business called Delisio, which Are is you? an interesting story. But one thing they used to do really well. Nice founder. Yeah, really like KJ's a lovely yeah. guy. And one thing KJ used to do really well, we did send recipes. So using the Delisio stuff, it one of the best sort of marketing hacks. So this is growing. you should just explain because people don't know what this business is. I mean, basically it started off selling, is this right? A, a non a, a vegetarian bacon something flavor in yep. supermarkets. Yeah, exactly. Vegetarian yeah. Bacon, so vegan bacon, which yeah. is actually, I really love that product. Yeah. And expanding to other stuff as well. And I've had a, a bit of a tough run because funding's been hard and the market yeah. is so, there was so much competition. Yeah. Uh, but the hack he did, which was really interesting initially was, yeah, he'd regularly send these recipes and the open rate was huge. I used to love the recipes. I'd get yeah. chefs in to do it. It's very it was smart. a really good hack. And I think something when you think, how do you communicate with customers when you don't have a reason to? And you've got to make a reason to communicate and make it interesting. Because you don't want to, to your point, you don't want to send a, a communication to customers that people don't want because they just will never look at anything again. So it's got to be high touch, Agreed. high interest. Qantas are the masters of this as well. They, they, they do a really good job at having super high open rates with that loyalty business and that and their core business. Virgin do a, do a good job as well. Uh, so I think that's a really interesting so you're challenge. You're basically saying the, the following. You're saying your business and Delisio they can go and market at the top of the funnel through email by effectively just doing positioning marketing to say when you think of great travel at great prices, you should just think of us and we'll just send you stuff at the top of the funnel, not when you're ready to buy, but just when you love that. And that's Both. what that's also what, mid funnel, but yeah. Okay. And whereas if you look at something like um, if Rislin was here, yeah. we would say to him, I really enjoy getting your three marketing emails a week that just, a that day. I, that, yeah, that I, yeah. That I, you know, which are just deals. Yeah. And so they work really well for Kogan, like really Kogan well. Like Lux has deals. So if you, that's yeah. an off price thing. But those, I think that from my understanding is they have a really good performance rates out of those emails and they are really kind of low funnel emails, right? Like click this and buy it now because it's a good deal. And so- I don't, I don't think one is right and one is wrong. I think I'm not, not saying they want to No, right. I know you're not. But the, the beauty that you have, and Qantas has this even more, I'm going to talk to Steve about this later, is people love your category. 
People love travel. People love the content you have. Qantas has the added bonus of the frequent flyer stuff. Yeah. Everybody wants to know frequent flyer deals. Yeah. And so they get to advertise, I think, mid to low funnel on frequent flyer stuff yeah. and top of funnel on travel stuff. It's almost a perfect marketing well, opportunity. Aside, travel's a bit of a unique case. But it's what's happened for most businesses that don't have that sort of travel port aspect to it. I think what you want to do and what Lissu did so well was you want to educate. So if you can – and this is, I think, what we try and do with the podcast. We Hopefully people that listen to the podcast – come out with a couple of things they learned they didn't otherwise know. And we want, and this is what Acquired do so well. They educate yeah. and entertain. I think it, when you're communicating with customers for the, lots and lots of founders listen to the show, one real challenge is how do you educate your audience at the same time as selling? And often they go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. So it's, I think that that's a real message you like to get. Go back to your, your um, shareholder point, which is a completely different point, but you're actually a really good point you raised. Uh, and both, I think both of us invest. Well, you in say it. it's a completely different point, but I just think – um, investor relations is marketing to shareholders. It is, but you're already a shareholder. So it's a, it's a dip. It's no, well, I'm not sure these are only going to shareholders. I think they might be going to everybody that re- was in, like signed up to something. But anyway, I, I don't want to okay, kill but, your momentum. Yeah, keep going, so, keep going. So but I think the point you, that you make is a good one. And so I, I'm investing on like 15 or 16 called startups to yeah. um, less startup companies. And there's some that are brilliant – so uh, Max uh, Shepard Cross, who runs Off- Officely, which is a great business that essentially uh, if you've got a hybrid business, it, d- it does got some great tech that works with Slack to, you can say, I'm coming to, I'm coming to this office today. I, I need this desk and book desk. You see who your friends nice are coming so. in. It's such a really interesting software. He's done really well with the business. It's, I think it's profitable now. Uh, has he invested as well? So he's raised money at a nice valuation uh, and he's a really good founder. But he sends every month, sends an update to shareholders. He does a video on, on uh, Loom, which Atlassian board, mm-hmm. which I now do to, to, my, to my board. Uh, he doesn't do it every month, the video. He does it most months, but does a really good report every month. Never, even had a bad month, he'll still do it. Good month, he'll do it. That's the absolute high watermark. Yeah. I don't, you don't have to do it every month. I think yeah. if you can do it every quarter, it's fine. We send something to our shareholders quarterly at Lux, mm-hmm. uh, board obviously monthly. And I've got other businesses. So I just got an, hopefully about to get an exit with a business that was a, meant to be a pre-IPO thing six years ago. They completely stuffed it up. Uh, they managed to sell to a different business who did a really good job. Uh, mm-hmm. So credit to the PayApps guys, Jeff Tarrant, the PayApps team, we did an incredible job. But the first guys were hopeless. But one thing I was critical of these guys, I'd never got an update. I basically had to ask these guys. Yeah. Occasionally they sent me like once every – best case once a year and it go to spam, I wouldn't see it. Uh, they did actually get it. That was probably 2x everybody's money. So it was a pretty good result in the end from where we work. I've yeah. just written this off. But like what was really disappointing about that business, they just didn't update us. And so yeah. I had no idea what was going on, which is super annoying. So there are founders out there and for not, not just founders, for people running businesses – communicate with your shareholders as regularly sure. as you can and talk about bad times as well and be honest. If something's going badly, be honest with it so you're not shocking shareholders. Well, if you don't communicate with your shareholders, you've got big problems if you need to raise money subsequently because nobody wants the booty call when they haven't heard from you for six years. And so I think that is one of the most important parts about communicating with shareholders is at some point things are going to go badly and you might need money and it's going to be better if you've established a relationship of trust with them and told them, I mean – you just said communicate the bad stuff as well. The worst of all, maybe even worse than no communication, is this stream of communication about how great everything is and then suddenly a request for we're going to go broke, we need cash out of nowhere. So, you know, I think I was – when I first had investors early on in my career, I did not share the downside with them enough. I thought it was part of my job to make things look good Mm. and that was a lesson that I eventually learnt over time that like honesty – in fact – 
Maybe erring on the side of the, yeah. on the I'm downside sure. is better to surprise. I just want to ask you some more questions because I can't believe questions. Oh, so, what, this is like a yes no, and like we're fifteen minutes you know, into the podcast. But I think just, I think because I think you made a really good point. I, I didn't make any point. I no, asked the, one question for point, a yes or no. It was good, but you said. I think there's no four, no four more important words for founders, managers, executives than under promise, over deliver. Right. Always under promise. Uh, and not to the point where you're lying and, yep. and you're just going to say, I'm going to do $1,000 and you know you're going to do $10 million, But yep. always be slightly more concerned because things generally go worse than you expect. Because we're, we're naturally, if you're a founder, you're naturally optimistic. Like I think we're paranoid optimists, but most founders, are, you have to be optimistic because mm. otherwise you wouldn't be a founder. Mm-hmm. So you generally look at things that that view whereas investors are probably the reverse so i think you've got to just really change the mindset so the my adam's quick lesson to, to listeners over communicate and manage expectations are the two big ones totally agree i thought i invented paranoid optimist did you take that from me or you came up with that I independently i thought i came up with this myself uh, but this is not. this is what happens to me all the time i come up with these you know one-liners and then people like just assimilate them not even deliberately but they just <laughs> think they came up with them that happens with my mum all the time <laughs> i tell my mum this stuff about life and whatever and then like two months later she'll give me this advice and it's literally the words that i've told her straight back at me i'm like mum I told you that. You got that from me. Well, no, I didn't. So I'm like, all right, well, you know. My mum does the reverse. She'll tell me something like 10 years ago. I got this weird memory for memory in this yeah. random facts. And then I'll say, say to her, she goes, oh, that's interesting. I said, you told me that. Like, <laughs> no, what I mostly yeah. find, I thought you were going to say this. I thought you were going to say, your mum told you something 10 years ago and you rolled your eyes. And 10 years later, you're like, oh, yeah, she was actually right about that. That happens a lot with me, with my parents. <laughs> okay. so, yeah, I shouldn't have rolled my eyes. Now, all right, it's going to be fast, okay? Okay. okay. No, no, all right. I can see you've got a phone case. Do you know about the case of five phone cases? No. Okay. I'm going to drive you crazy on this one. Okay? I'm going to drive you crazy on this one. So Keelan has got one, one of our producers. Yeah, just over sitting right this here. is a phone case that costs $100. It's made of plastic. The same, I think Keelan, it's- Can you hold up the phone case? Yeah. Why don't you bring it in for our audience? If bring it in, bring it in. I think it's the, made of the same material as every other phone case. It's quite cool, actually. I quite like this. Okay. $100. These, I presume, Kieran, you've put these stickers on. No, he hasn't. So oh, the, these are part of the case. The sales pitch of this business is yeah. you can customise the phone case. Okay. Now, I thought, Kieran, has it got the thing to charge? Can you charge? You can buy one that has. You can buy one that has. Hasn't got the MagSafe. You can buy a MagSafe one. Oh, okay, for an extra for extra money. I probably cost the same. How much more than a hundred dollars can you charge? So well, I think the Apple one costs more than a hundred bucks. This is this one is just a phone case. But so the Apple MagSafe costs more than hundred bucks, doesn't it? Well, that's Apple. Yeah, yeah of course. But I don't know what it costs because I, yeah. I don't, like I, as you may notice, I don't use a phone no, case. Are you? Are you the well, only person I know who doesn't use a phone case. The god of design, Steve Jobs, did not intend us to you use phone you cases. Like have the insurance that I don't know. Probably. Yeah. I think you mean I Apple, like Apple Care or something? Apple Care. Yeah, I broke I three so. phones in the space of like six months. So With a case? With a case. Well, I, I don't want to jinx myself, but I've broken no I phones like without a case. It, and you know, like on bitumen, and bitumen's not, not but I dropped it like a hundred other times, didn't break, yeah. but three times. You know, the bitumen's bumpy. Yeah. Because it's bumpy, just like a tiny little crack in it and it's gone. I once left the, my phone on the roof of my car at the airport, drove away and like, oh no, and I came back to the car park and I found so it, right? but 40 cars had driven over it. So... <laughs> <laughs> you said that in that, that, that uh, Alaska Airlines, the Boeing disaster, that, what a disgraceful company. Boeing oh, the phone that went out the- And the phone fell 16,000 yeah. feet out a window and landed and was fine. Did, were you surprised? I wasn't surprised by that. I wasn't surprised. It really just terminal velocity and anyway, yeah, look, velocity. it's much not, look, I, you know, people can't see, I mean, see it if you watch it on YouTube, it's yeah. so much nicer. Yeah, Although much nicer. if Steve Jobs was around today, and you know, I'm not a lover of Steve Jobs, no, we've discussed week. that many yeah. times, but this whole idea, you can see I'm holding this up. 
the way these cameras protrude mm. so it's not flush and you put it on the table and it's wonky, yeah, exactly. he would not have allowed that, nah, would he? he? Allowed it. Anyway, this Caseify thing that Keelan has forked out, I'm going to say more than $100 for. <laughs> How much so was it, Keelan? 100 okay. You can have, you know, the things you wear around your neck that you can clip your phone onto. You can dangle the phone around it's your very neck. Very heavy, wouldn't it hurt yeah. your neck? Anyway, I don't know. Well, let's not talk about the physiology of it. It's but they cost. Like, break your neck with one of these. Things. I don't want to. You're not a pro. You're not Sisyphus Max. with the boulder hanging around your neck. <laughs> so that costs sixty dollars, by the way, at case the of the I think so. Oh, they sell the necklace as well, case of Of course, if you could sell for sixty dollars, wouldn't you? And yeah. so this thing, what they've got going for them is they've got a really nice case of fights. There's a round where the camera. Yeah, thing is, it looks nice branding, but they yeah, just great. they just print this thing out. And Keelan, you know, he didn't go on to Canva and design this thing himself. He just chose one of the designs yeah. from the store, a hundred dollars. I thought you'd be much more outraged by that. Why would I be outraged? One hundred for my MagSafe. I know, but you got MagSafe from Apple. All right, there you go. Yeah. Well, yeah, there you go. So you know, that revenue. This is a global business. Yeah, local revenue, I believe, is about three mil a month. What's this? Sorry, Caseify. Okay. Australian, Australian business. Australian business. Yeah. Globally, it's hundreds of millions really? of dollars. It's like that um, quad lock business that's done really yes. well. The, 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 the CPE capital is in yeah. that business. Um, all right. I thought you'd be more outraged by that. I'm not that's, outraged at all. That's, dis- that's disappointing. Sorry. By the way, get rid of your case. It looks terrible. <laughs> um, not your specific case. You might caseify if you want, but I just, I'm gonna, you need to move to the. I agree. It's I know much your not, argument. Being, I've got being young, naked is much nicer. You're going to say I've got young kids. I'm worried about. Is that it's your not argument? Kids, it's me. I drop it all the time. I drop it all the time as well. And it never breaks. No, it's well, it's well made. Yeah. They know what they're doing. Because you pay four and a half million breaks. dollars for a phone. I'll tell you about it's, my story when I got my last time I broke it. Yeah. And I, I did have Apple Care because after the first time I said, I'm, I'm, yeah. I think I may have mentioned the pop up in case I didn't. Uh, I went to Apple in Singapore. Yep. And I was there like overnight, say in Singapore. I went there at like seven o'clock. I made a booking. You know, you make a booking for Genius Bar. Made a booking, dropped it off. Uh, Apple Care covered it. It was meant to be like a hundred bucks, but because I was in Singapore, born in the UK, yep. it was some cross jurisdictional stuff. They didn't charge me a cent. You've always, got, you've always got these simple issues with the most complicated story wrapped around <laughs> them. <laughs> I was at this place and the car didn't come for two hours and I had to return it 400 miles. And <laughs> That's my life story. But, uh, uh, but yeah, the Apple replaced the glass in an hour yeah. uh, for free. It was unbelievable. I went with someone to fix a um, an Android phone. It was... What's the go- Pixel? It's a Pixel, one of the Pixel phones. It's a Google and phone. And the guy yeah. fixing it, yeah, Google phone. Not Android. And the, and the well, it runs well, Android. Android's across multiple platforms. It's a Google phone that runs the Google operating system, yeah. Android. I'm going to have to be very precise with my commentary with you. Now yeah. I can see. Well, right. demand No, I'm though. going to be trying to be precise, okay? So I went up, so I took this. This back. phone was broken. It wasn't mine. And I went to get it repaired at a particular place whose name I can't remember. <laughs> I walked up precisely 17 stairs to get, I don't know the number, but I'm trying to be precise <laughs> with you. So I walked up 17 stairs to get it fixed. And the person who was repairing it, who was an, an expert, by that I mean a university per kid who was really good at fixing yeah. phones, he said, if you look inside these phones, you see that they are fundamentally not as well crafted as Apple phones. Yep. The, the quality of Apple's construction mm. when you open these things up is materially better. Next topic. I parked my car downstairs. This is just before. Just before. I parked in a spot where I used Paystay yep. to pay for I like, parking. I like Paystay. I like Paystay. No problem. So Paystay, just to explain, is like the app you use to pay for parking. So yeah. you're not using a meter like I used to use. Unless you're talking to our audience that's over 95 years old, they've just probably give, give used Paystay. All right. There's also Easy Pay, Easy Park. There's heaps of them. That's yeah. the pink one. Yeah. Anyway. So I think they're bad for councils, by the way, because I used to put more money into the meter than I needed. And now I get pay for exactly yeah, the parking exactly I want. Don't you think that's not, it's not good for councils? 
Yeah, but there's less cost of collection. Of collection. I, I know. Are. That's I the trade-off, right? I reckon they are. That's the trade-off. So, you remember when there used to be meters where they were mechanical? Were you around for those? Because, you know, you claim yeah. to be 14 and you know years old now how, like, they've got – Melbourne Council has, like, a weight underneath the car spot. So, you yes. can tell when the car's on there, they match good. it, and they come and book it. But they used to put coins in a meter, and it used to mechanically – Yeah. It's, yeah. I yeah. Like, it's old days. So, yeah. anyway. So, I park. I use Pace Day. I park in a legal spot, yep. two-hour parking. The, then there's these – People in front of me that pull up and park in front, it's a no standing spot. Yeah. No standing. These two people get out of the car, a man and a woman, I would estimate they're in their 20s. Yeah. They just lock the car, walk away <laughs> and go to their meeting. <laughs> I nearly had a stroke at that experience. <laughs> I'm so allergic to paying parking tickets. Yeah. I hate parking tickets. Yeah. But people always tell me that I'm crazy worrying about parking tickets because the cost benefit is I should just accept occasionally getting a parking yeah. ticket and just – so, I mean, I could possibly guess your attitude towards parking tickets, but you're a you're a confounding guy. Like, you paid, <laughs> you're just happy to pay $100 for a phone case, so I don't know who you are anymore. So no, what's, what's your view on parking tickets? I'm, I'm with you. I would pay them – I'm pretty fastidious on paying the meter. I yeah. hate getting a parking ticket. Point is probably right in that you're only going to get caught maybe what a third of the time. Yeah. So, and they're only like 60, 70 bucks. So, you're paying what 30 bucks or not even 30 bucks per. I'll tell you my story about how I got the parking ticket outside my house one time. <laughs> <laughs> so, I was living in, I used to live right near the South Melbourne market. I can just imagine. I knew someone whose brother was a, a policeman and they had a fight and he gave her a ticket for parking outside her own house. He said, no, too close to the driveway or something. So anyway, so it must be infuriating for you to get a parking ticket well, outside your own house. We've talked about councils being the most inept. No, you can park across your own driveway and get a ticket. That would be that's the, that's the most yeah. horrifying yeah, ticket. Even though you own the driveway. Yeah. But yeah. The most appalling thing is, so I hate the fact that councils even exist. So and they charge, so we have to pay, I paid 300 bucks for permits. So you got to buy these permits because councils have a, there's a market across the road and this permit system or whatever. Yep. Even though they can quite easily do it, match your number plate. No, there's really no sure. need to charge them. They do it because yep. revenue raising idiots. Uh, anyway, so a park. So problem with the South Melbourne market is during the week it was okay, but on Saturday and Sundays everybody comes and parks. And you can never get a parking spot in front of your own house. So if you ever had to go out during the weekend, you're stuffed. You got to park mm-hmm. miles away. One time my wife had just gone somewhere for for a day, and I had the two kids with. It, was, it doesn't happen very often, but I had the two kids with me, uh, and I'd parked across the road in front of my kids' childcare centre. Funnily enough. And during the weekend, you can park there as long as you want. And it's a half-hour spot during the week. Uh, and it's fair enough in a way because there's obviously people using the childcare centre. I'd park there on the Sunday because I couldn't get anywhere closer. And then I had the kids. I couldn't actually move the car. I then dropped the kids to childcare. And then at 9.10, I went to move the car. I had a ticket. I, I got a permit. So I paid for the permit. It's yeah. a crossroad of my house. Yeah. I got a ticket. I, I technically – the reason I got the ticket is because 30 minute spots the permit doesn't apply for. I see. So technically what they did was legal, but like pretty, I'd paid for a permit. I was across my house. Even worse, there was like eight spots in front of me free. So it's not even a single person oh, cost a spot. I didn't, there was no victims here. They've got quotas they have to meet. You yeah, can't get, get angry with them. They get paid. They said they don't get commissions. They have quotas. They effectively They've got have quotas. Quota. That's their job. Yeah. You can't get angry with people. For, oh, you know, they just do no, I'm not angry at the person giving the ticket. Yeah. I'm angry at the council for having the rule. Yeah, so well, there's a long list of things to get angry with councils about. I agree with you. The first one would be existing. That would be the first thing yeah. I'd get angry with councils about. So, so I get this ticket and I send a message to the council. Uh, uh, there's an thing I sent. Yeah, the ticket was technically validly put in, but I, I literally live across the road. I pay all these permits and I had two kids at home and I couldn't actually leave them in the house to move the car. I thought, that's a pretty good excuse. They said, no. So I said, stuff this, I'm going to the magistrate's court. 
Okay, we'll come to the magistrate's court. You mentioned who's in the magistrate's court. It's not exactly yeah. the high-flying elements of Commonwealth yeah. Street. Melbourne Society in there. But I was that, and they got this like whole list of, it wasn't just parking people, it was parking with some, there's a whole bunch of other stuff. There's drug offence, all this kind of stuff, a lot yeah. of level sort of stuff. Yeah. Uh, so you know, go to the magistrate's court and there's like people in front of me, what, normal disputes and stuff. My, mine comes up. Magistrate was nice enough and I explained the story. She goes, oh, yeah, I agree. That's, that's outrageous. I shouldn't be giving you a parking permit for that. I'm waving this for – I'm going, I won. I won yeah, victory. Yeah. She goes, you still have to pay the court fee. How much do you reckon the, the ticket was? So the t- I'm going to guess the ticket was like 50 bucks? The ticket was 78 bucks. So, How much do you reckon the court fee was? $250? Eighty. 80. Okay. That's <laughs> actually pretty – that's pretty cheap access to justice, by the way. Well, not, well, not really because I, I won. I had those $2 out of pocket. I know. So. I'm surprised you didn't ask – did you, did you represent yourself? Yeah. Oh, my God. Client. I wish that I could get in a time machine and go back and sit in the magistrate's court to watch you. I was like Perry. I was like striding the stage like Perry Mason. How yeah, long did a, you How long OJ did you put your case for? How long, were you, how, were you, how long did it go for? Uh, probably 10 minutes. 10 minutes? Yeah. How, long, how much of that were you talking for? Probably eight minutes. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I'm shocked to hear that. <laughs> it was like it was like Rumpole the Bailey out there. It was one of the greatest orations the magistrate's court ever had. It was, uh, it's worth a, it's worth that eighty dollars for the experience, and it only actually cost you twenty. Well, no, it cost you two dollars and time. Well, but you know, but time that's a leisure activity for it you was, though, it isn't it? Of, it's kind of <laughs> one quick story on that. I used to when I was a, I did law school, and one of the subjects you did was called professional practice. And, that, and it was really, it's probably the best thing we ever did. And that you basically represent people in court a little bit. You help them with cases. You have a lawyer who oversees you because you're not yep. a lawyer yet. So anyway, we go to this prof prac thing. So as part of your prof prac, you do an assignment or you can represent two guilt, people in guilty pleas. So basically what you do is you go to court and you say, yeah, a deer was speeding, but he's a really good guy. And if he's a great podcaster and please go easy on him. So yep. you kind of like, you try and mitigate the sentence and usually just having somebody there doing it helps. So I did that a couple of times with a guy who was speeding and another guy. Another guy, totally different person, but in the same class as me, often you get uh, people who got done, not often, but sometimes you get people who get done for, so this is out in Springvale. Yeah. There's a big Asian population out there. And what came to time, people get done for illegal abalone fishing. So out in Port Phillip Bay, you can actually fish for abalone. Right. Which is a delicacy. It sells for like a fortune. I don't really know what abalone is. It's like a cray, it's like a shellfish. It's a shellfish. I don't eat fish, but it's a shellfish thing that that I think Asian people love at restaurants. We've already established that your entire consumption consists of water. You don't drink coffee, you don't eat fish, you don't eat... Anyway. I don't. Uh, and no meat and whatever. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm aware, I'm aware of your issues. I mean, <laughs> but by the way, I still haven't taken you out for our lunch That's of the bet you won. But true. it's all right because all I need to do is like go down to the local, cheap, like the feed. tap in the park <laughs> and we'll have lunch there. <laughs> be cheap feed. Anyway, so this guy, another guy in the class who represented somebody, a guilty plea who yep. got done illegal abalone yep, fishing. Yep. So yep. they apparently, they, so they, they were caught in Fort Phillip Bay, like they caught red-handed abalone fishing. This guy went to court and was able, he's obviously a better lawyer than me. He managed to get them, they were guilty, but he got them no penalty. So really? they were really happy. They, they were so grateful and, and lovely people. They said, come over for dinner and celebrate our victory. Oh, I love this story. They came over for dinner, served him abalone. I love that story. <laughs> I love like that story. <laughs> love that story. All right, my very last question. Yeah. Okay. Yesterday or whenever it was, someone, two people won the lotto. Oh, the 200 million one. Two people. Yeah. 100 mil each. Yeah. One of them has come forward. Yeah. And they were interviewing. Make him sound like I killed somebody. Like, come forward. Well, I, don't, I wouldn't want people to know if I'd won $100 billion. Would you? That seems Probably, like, not. Probably not. So this is my point. So they come forward. They say, you've won. And they get. They, they're wearing a face mask. They they no, no. They are identified. They get interviewed by the press. They're happy to talk to the media. Because, you know, these people are just regular people with no experience yeah. of these types of it's always media. a regular person. Yeah, yeah. well, well no, probably because the ones that like are already already have a hundred mil. Smart. Don't let yeah. anybody know that yeah. they won. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, 
They said, the, so there was a husband and wife. I don't know exactly how old they were, how but old I get wife? the middle, middle-aged or later, maybe in their late 50s, okay. that's my guess, or mid to late 50s. So the woman says, I'm going to quit my job. I mean, there's no reason to work anymore, is there? But my husband, I think, is going to continue his job because he likes his job. And then she said, the thing I want to do is, you know, I'm in shock, but I want to travel the world, I want to see everywhere, and, you know, this is going to be great news for my kids. So this is the story. Now, I've read a lot of research about people who win the lottery. Yeah. It does not go well. It never goes well, I think. People think that they, you've been touched by an angel if you win the lottery. Yeah. I think you've been touched by devil. the devil if 100%. you win the lottery. Usually what happens is that it destroys the people's lives. Yeah. 100%. And the, I read this particular piece of advice online on a Reddit thing. that Someone had won the lottery. Yeah. And they provide this advice on what you should do if you win the lottery. And, like, step number one is – don't do anything for six months. Yeah. Just keep working and act like you haven't won for the first six months. But my contention and this is- this person had won the lottery. They had won the lottery and they'd made some mistakes, but, okay. they, but unlike most people who have won the lottery, they didn't end up losing all of the money as well as their family and friends yeah. and their yeah, marriage. And the kids don't speak well, that is the usual stuff. road to winning after you win the yeah. lottery. And so um, I, my, I think that she said it's going to be, it's just going to be great news for my kids. That she's one. I think it's going to be terrible news yes. for her kids. You you yeah. agree with all of this, right? Yeah, I think that um, this idea of suddenly, you know, there are people in business that all of a sudden have these massive riches, but in a way, even if they're just lucky, they've worked for it and something's gone right. Yeah, I think the feeling of like, how the hell did I get all of this money, and do I deserve it, and what do I do with it? It's just overwhelming. And the lack if of sophistication as well. Like the, well, I think business. Well, they can in, they can invest in as sophisticated investors now because yeah. their net assets <laughs> exactly. exceed two and a half million dollars. I think there's there probably are cases you don't hear about that where it goes fine and people are smart and manage it well. But but there's a lot of data on this. There's been a lot of yeah, academic studies on this. There's a real actually argument that lottery yeah. shouldn't be legal. Like they're, obviously they're, they're gambling. Uh, so people, most people lose money, and people who make money lose everything else. So it becomes. I'm not sure there's a great justification these things being legal. Well, now they're private businesses. They used to fund yeah, social exactly. infrastructure, Originally. right? Yeah. But, but I know I think they did in most places originally. Yeah. But um, but so I don't. I mean, you know, I don't think things should be banned as a general rule. And I think most people know what they're getting into. I think they should be taxed. I mean, well, they are taxed. They pay tax like anyone else. No, right? but the winnings are not taxed. Tax free. Yeah, it's a good point. So if you sell luxury escapes, game of of chance. Yeah. Yeah. If you make a hundred million dollars, you pay tax on it. Yeah, actually, should be taxed. They don't. Makes no sense. Is there anything that should be taxed more than hundred percent gambling money that you got without having to sweat it out? Anyway, so I think um, I I really think it's a curse, and I think maybe there should just be some program or, or business or something that says if you win the lottery. Come to us, and we'll make sure that your life doesn't fall to pieces as yeah. a result of it. I think it's a curse. Oh, I think it's a curse. Oh, there's nothing worse than. I mean, yeah, I get the same for a lot of business. I could tell you a lot well. of things that are worse than winning the lottery, but it is pretty terrible. It's. I think why it's so bad. Is Sudden people, death people, would be worse. In terms, of, yeah, in terms <laughs> of the where it's the worst is in terms of the perception gap. People think it's really good, but it's really bad. Yes, there's, that's like, right. People know they're getting murdered's bad. So like, people don't know that. Well, there should be a Reddit. There should be a Reddit thread which is. 
what are the things that people think are amazing that are actually terrible? Yeah. And I think lottery would be the top of that list. That is a big gap. The purpose of that is ca- don't don't sign up for the lottery because if you lose, you'll feel bad. Mm. And if you win, you're going to be even worse. worse. I think what lottery is probably selling is one week of a dream that you might win all of this money and maybe that is the best thing you can get out of a lottery. Oh, Unless your life is about to fall to pieces because you've got no money, but short of that... Well, maybe if you win like 50 I think it's grand, a curse. Yeah, well, Division 2 yeah. well, well, it was like 177K. Yeah. That's probably that okay. feels like a good amount of money to debts. win. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but 100 mil, no. What do you think it is about winning that amount of money that is so destructive to people? Oh, good question. I think, well, this is, I can tell you the the answers that I've read to this question. I I don't have to speculate. So firstly, if you have not had more than, most Australians do not have anywhere near $100,000 of savings in the bank, okay? Nowhere near. And so all of a sudden you have a check for $100 million. You have no understanding of how $100 million differs to $100,000 probably. Like it's an inconceivable amount of money for people. And so you think that you can do whatever you want and the money will never run out. But it is amazing how – you know, have you ever seen that movie Brewster's Millions from the 80s? It's um, oh, Richard, Pryor Richard Pryor. And, it's a great movie. And we have to say his name because I, I love the actor whose name I forgot. Who was the original Willy Wonka? Oh, Gene, not, uh, Gene Wilder. Gene Wilder. That's, that, he was he in it, wasn't he? Ish, didn't he? Last 10 yeah, years. a few yeah. years ago. One of, yeah. my, one of my favourite actors. Great actor. Um, so this movie, for those people who Isn't don't that know. Isn't that No Evil, when they're both in? Oh, I might have gotten them confused. I confused. Whatever. I just wanted to say Gene Wilder's name. Yeah. So, um, so this movie is like this guy has to burn through X number of hundreds of yeah. millions of dollars and then oh, – he, he has to burn though. through 50 mil and if he can burn through it without buying any assets in like 30 days yeah. or something, no assets. It's a great movie. He, he gets uh, hundreds of millions of dollars as a reward from his dead uncle or something. Yeah. Anyway, and so what I think is that it is, it is amazing how quickly you can burn through $100 million if you think that you have infinite money. Yeah. I'm not talking from experience, unfortunately. Yeah. And so um, – <laughs> And so I think that's one problem. People think it's unlimited. All of their family and friends completely change in the nature of the relationship they have with them because like a million dollars will change someone's life and you've got a hundred of them. Just give me one. Yeah, exactly. And that, you know, ruins the relationships. You stop working. And because they didn't earn it, the friends think, like I think if you earn the money, people are less likely to just ask for it. Or you're more likely to get, I don't know, but it's the lack of. If you earn it, you know how much pain there was in getting it. That's another thing. Yeah. Whereas this just hits you. I think also you stop working, that's a disaster. You should not stop working. Yeah. Like work is much more than earning money. Yeah, absolutely. And so you should, people stop working. Kids feel like they don't have to, they can just go and take it easy for the rest of their lives because they've got all this inheritance that's coming their way. Yeah. It puts pressure on a marriage about what to do because yeah. all of these questions are my parents want this and your parents want yeah. – yeah, I, I don't really see a lot of upside at all no. to that quantity of money. By the way, I think in general – if you plot, you know, I'm big on, on maths. If you plot wealth versus happiness. We've talked about this before. Have we, it's, yeah. a U, it's an inverted U. Well, it hits the yeah, yeah. There's a There's a point. I don't know what that point is. I've asked a few people yeah. about what that, Maybe it's around the 20 or 30. I don't, I don't know exactly what Some people it say it's 20. Some people say it's 100. Yeah. It's definitely a lot less than a billion. Oh, 100%. I think when you get in the hundreds, probably yeah. you're on that downside of the year. It starts making you sad. The, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I think you're right. 100%. It's, it's a... Remember that, that there's a great story that the classic case is that guy in the UK and he was named, you know those tabloids are amazing in the UK. Yeah. And they call him the king of the chabs. So chabs is like a bit like a bogan in, in the UK. And this guy was one, he, bought, he built a dirt yeah. track in his house. Like always, yeah. he always made, stole his money. And this guy became a pauper like three or four years later. It took, 
the cycle for him was so quick. It was like 20 million bucks plus yep. and he lost it in a flash. Yeah, it's so, it's so sad. And like, how do you ever recover emotionally from that, right? You got to go and sit on a mountain in India somewhere and find peace, I think. So, yeah, I think all, basically the misnomer that exists in this world is that money solves all your problems. And the thing is, it solves us a chunk of problems. Those problems are the ones that relate to money. Yeah. But then it causes a whole lot of other problems. Exactly. And I think that winning $100 million causes vastly more problems than it solves. I think why people who make – look at Scott and Mike from Alassian, who obviously we talked about last yep. week – very, and question, I question the value of Velassian, but they couldn't even buy that. Couldn't even buy one of their houses, winning a hundred million dollars. Yeah. By I'm the not, way, I don't question their acumen. But if you look, they would have had. They started their business with credit cards, uh, so they had this. Would have had this massive paranoia for the first three or four years. They're like living hand to mouth. They never raised money, so they really understood how to how to make profit and understood the downside of things and losing everything. They then became really good investors in other businesses, so they really understand how to retain and make money, which is very different. Oh, they're, their wealth is a different stratosphere, but they yeah. clearly understand- They may they, not be able to spend all of their money. Oh, impossible. They billion. could get divorced six times. That would reduce it well, significantly. Mike, being well, he needs another five to go if he wants yeah. to run out of money. Yeah. But um, but it would be, it's very, I'm not sure it's possible in one generation to lose that amount of wealth. struggle to spend a billion. Very billion? They've got billion. 20 billion. They've got, forget them. They're, all, they're next level. I'm talking about, I use them as an example of once you- really understand how to make money, you're much less likely to lose it. Yes. Versus I the think lottery winner. Although having said that, I'll say I'll let you move on after I make this comment. You know, most people that listen to this podcast are not going to win the lottery. Maybe we'll say no one that listens to this podcast is going to win $100 million, but plenty of people that listen to this podcast will get exits from their businesses yeah. in the millions or tens of millions of dollars. Yeah. That, that's my gut feel. Yeah, for sure. Certainly in the millions. We've got a lot of very successful entrepreneurs yeah. who listen. And I think that – and so when you're in the world of software, a lot of the businesses that get bought and you get tens of millions of dollars, you never saw any dividends because they never made yeah. any money. So yeah. that's if you haven't had a secondary sell down, that's your first taste of money. Yeah. And I would, I think they should go and read this lottery thread yeah. on Reddit. It's not the same, but it has some similarities. And this idea that you get this windfall of money when you haven't had anything like it previously, I think some of the same rules apply, which is do nothing for six months Absolutely. and just- Go and chuck in the bank. Yep. And just be calm. Especially now chuck it in the bank and get five percent. Yeah. But like, yeah, I think I think that is probably good advice for people that have big exits for their business. On that note, we'll go to a super quick break and be back with our next story on Maya. So do you, have you had much success working with digital agencies in the past? Well, as you know, I had an agent, I had a digital agency. And since I sold that, I've come to understand how rare a beast that was because I could totally rely on it to do all of my own digital work. And it's, uh, it's, it's tricky to find a really high quality digital agencies. I use a couple, but uh, it's not a simple process to find a good one. And for the rest of us who don't own agencies like you do or did, it is really hard. And we were, we've been super lucky to find and work with the superstars at Digital Minds Group for almost a decade, actually. And they've helped us scale the business. I think we we're probably doing about 20 million bucks at the time in sales. And we're obviously almost at a billion now. And the main difference between Digital Minds and other agencies is Digital Minds are really well structured to take on your own business's KPIs. They essentially act as an extension of your own internal team. And that allows DMG to scale as you grow your business. So whether you're spending a few hundred thousand dollars a month on digital marketing or even a few million, Digital Minds have the best specialists in digital media to supercharge your growth. And their client base really speaks for themselves. They work with Gumtree, Cars Guide, 
news, merry people, blue thumb, and of course they work with us at Luxury Escapes. So if you're keen to have a chat with them, I know they'll be super happy to look after any Contrarians listeners and even conduct an audit of all your paid media. So go to digitalmindsgroup.com.au and click on the big orange button to book a strategy call with the team. And welcome back. Adir, Maya, you want to talk about it? You know, I was looking at Maya and um, my recent hypothesis on Maya is that it's a junk business. As and a bad business. Yeah, ju- well, I don't know. Does anyone ever say junk and they mean good when they say like the word junk? junk? Right. You sell junk. Well, some of what they sell is junk. Yeah. Um, well, they sell pretty Okay, they sell all right stuff. Well, did you – so have you – well, let me let me say a few things and then you can give your view on this. So, you know, this is a business that's been through some pretty bad yeah. times. It's got the Solly Lou pressure that's been yep. applied to it for the last 20 years or whatever it is. I think he yep. owns 30% probably. That much? Cool. Yeah, he well, owns- Premier Investments own it, which Solly controls. Yeah, yeah. correct. And um, and so it's also had this e-commerce wave that's come. Yep. And like when I think about Maya, it feels to me that Maya was basically- the internet before there was the internet. Like you, you couldn't buy anything from anywhere. Yeah. And so you went to this place and everything was Amazing. in that one place. Always got to yeah, yeah. But now that exists in a much bigger way called the internet. <laughs> and so I thought this business is not going to survive. And you know, David Jones has done terribly and just got sold for nothing basically. Well, Africa owned it and was disastrous. Oh, it was a, it was a disaster. Solly made an absolute monster out of that as well, incidentally. Yeah. He's pretty good at retail. And yeah. so, um, and so I thought, and then what I noticed is that there was a story about how Maya needs to find a new CEO. So John King's – no, who's the current who's – Yeah, current? He, he, he retired. Yeah. And he did a good reason, job, didn't he? He did a good job. I didn't think he did a good job because I wasn't following it, right? Yeah. And they wanted – apparently the article basically said that they'd wanted Mark McInnes, yeah. which I thought they were no chance of getting because he went from David Jones. Went to Officeworks, Officeworks first to yeah. David Jones, yeah. left under that sort of cloud. Yeah. Then Solly likes those clouds. Yeah. So Solly grabbed him. Then Solly paid him. I don't know what he paid him, but it would have been a ton, a lot more than Maya would, could it pay him. About five million a year. All so right. it was a lot. But so John King was on two million a year, including stock. Yeah. And which people thought was a lot. Like people, complete bulls saying yeah. that, that's a high pay. And then you know where he went to now, right? Mark. Yeah. He's down at, oh, where is he? He just got poached by Britt Blundy. Of course, Britt Blundy. Yeah. He's probably and Australia's. I reckon probably the best retailer, but him and Solly would be really neck and neck. Agreed. And so you're not. And so he was no. Maya was no chance of getting him if Blundy was yep. going to eat him, right? And so now they're on the hunt for a CEO. And so yep. I thought, let's look at this because, like, who would want to do this job? So I'm quite shocked at how well Maya is doing. It's doing really well. So their revenue, yeah. they got, they do have a couple of problems, but. Their revenue is three point three billion dollars for the last. Well, it's always had good revenue. Like it was the profitability that was the problem. But that's huge. That revenue, yeah, huge. And so it's profitability. They like to use a number which excludes some one-off costs. There was a point where I reckon Kogan was worth two billion, yep. and Maya was worth like in the hundreds of millions. Yes, which is just astonishing to think. And you might think, well, Kogan should have bought them, but I'm going to tell you the reason why yeah. it, that was not going to be viable. But and so on this three point three bill of revenue. They make like somewhere between sixty and seventy million dollars of profit, which yeah. is slim margin, What's two or three percent quite higher, isn't it? The EBITDA is higher, but they've got a lot it's of dark. depreciation of their yeah. stores, right? Yeah. And so when you think about that, two or three percent, they actually do generate cash, yep. although they paid a, a pretty hefty dividend. Yep. So this is a share price that is currently at sixty or seventy cents. What's the market cap? Five hundred. Oh, so it's gone up a lot. It was down to, but it has halved in the last year. Oh, has it? So it's yeah. worth a billion at one point. Yeah, yeah, it was worth 1.2 billion. Yeah. I think it halved in the last oh, year. 
this 65 cent share price was nine cents of dividends, fully yeah. franked in the last year. Although it's not sustainable because four yeah. cents of that was a special dividend. Yeah. But still, you might get 8% of a fully franked yield on yeah. this. And it's throwing off real free cash. Yeah. What's interesting about it is 20% of its sales are online now. Yeah. 20%. It's a six or $700 million online business. Yes. I mean, it's one of the biggest are. online businesses in Australia. Yeah, I heard, right. I heard yeah, that right. their cosmetics sales online is bigger than Adore Beauty's online revenue. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So this is a real online business. Yeah. They have like- se- think about, I think the total percentage of online sales is like 18%-ish. So they're actually trending above market. Well, I said it's twenty percent. Yeah, minus like, twenty. But I think. Yeah. Oh, yes. The rest of Australia is less than that. I think. No, it's wa- it's way less than eighteen. Yeah. The rest of Australia. Yes, their mu- their their share of re- online revenue yeah, is like much 11, higher. 12, isn't it? Th- yes, yeah. much higher than Australia's share of online revenue. Absolutely. What's interesting? We'll talk to Steve about this as well because he'll have comments on this. Is like they have this Maya One card. Yep. They have seven million members. <laughs> Four and a half mil uh, have been active in the last year. Yeah. They have all these credit card partnerships as well. Yep. You know, what percentage of – well, I'll tell you. I'm not make a guess. Like, <laughs> I'll make a guess. All right. What percentage of total sales do you think come from Maya One members? Like how many people – what percentage that buy have Maya One? It's usually 80% is the answer. Oh, you're so questions. good at this game. So, <laughs> like, that's disappointing. And so, um, <laughs> so 75% is Maya One yeah. members. I mean, and most incredibly of all, their, their return on equity – because yeah. there's not a lot of equi- no, equity in yeah. this business. It's like 25% yeah. return on equity. It's trading at nine times earnings, PE. Yeah. It's actually a pretty interesting yeah. business. This is the downside of it. They spent a quarter of their cash in the last financial year because they paid dividends. Yeah. So really, this I don't think this rate of dividends or anything yeah, near it is going to continue. Yeah. They've got a bit of debt, like 60 mil or something, yeah. but like – I don't think this is necessarily sustainable, this rate of dividends. The big problem is this. They've got this $1.6 billion of lease liabilities, and that is why I think it wasn't viable for Kogan to buy them. Because well, Kogan's not, a hard, not an old-school retailer. But they're not going to buy one point. No, but even if they said, oh, we just want to buy online. the business, keep the yeah. online and shut the stores, yeah. well, good luck with that $1.6 billion. Yeah. Yeah, and I think the thesis that people like Solly and others have, have had over the last decade is eventually they'll go broke yeah. and they'll be able to extinguish these lease liabilities yeah. and then you'll have a decent business. But actually, I think- If they go broke, Solly's an equity holder. He doesn't get that. So uh, but he'll go and probably be one of the people that tries to swoop on the business and buy up the remnants, right? He doesn't right? need an equity holder for that. Um, no, he doesn't need to be an equity holder yeah, for that. he doesn't advantage you. Yeah, I think he was. He thought, um, look, he might just be playing for kicks now, probably. to be honest, because he's so rich. Yeah. yeah. But actually, this business is not the terrible business that I thought it was. Yeah. And if you think that it's not going to go broke, yeah. then on a return on equity basis, on a yield basis um, – on a dividends basis, yeah. Like, I think it's actually pretty interesting. I think the challenge with Maya, and I'm going to give you an exception in a second, but I think the challenge yeah. with Maya is department stores are businesses of scale. They're not network businesses, yeah. really. They're the more scale businesses. They're scale businesses. Well, so yes. when you get lots of people in there, you get lots more staff, you have a better experience. Maybe yeah. there's a bit of network effect because you get more people, you have more staff in there, you get a wider range of staff. No, but so a network effect is- It's, it's a very is, mild, it's a is mild me network. being a shopper- does that benefit you being a shopper? Well, it does in the case that if, if more people shop there, you get more staff, you get better help, but it's a oh, mild maybe. network. It's not like- it's not, No, it's maybe. Not I'm, I'm, no, I agree with you. That, yeah, it's a good point. It's very mild. But, and the problem is you go to a department store and outside Christmas, they're pretty quiet. So you get hard to get service. So people more likely go online. So you've got that sort of 
negative cycle. Yeah. Look at the exception. I was in the UK. I actually meant to talk about this during when we filmed that episode in the UK, but I forgot. Uh, I was into John Lewis, which is kind of like the Maya mm-hmm. yep. equivalent of the UK. Probably Maybe it's halfway between Maya and David Jones. Yeah, and if you remember, it's a bit like Maya in the 80s where it's got like a – it's still got electrics. Like, remember Maya used to have electrics? Yeah. So it's like you can buy a TV there, yeah. you buy your kitchen stuff, a bit more broad. I went there and it was – there's people everywhere. It was unbelievable. There was yeah. staff everywhere. There but was, was this in everywhere. central London? No, this is in a place called Welling Garden City. This is 50 minutes – Okay. Like an hour of London. Suburban. Yeah, like a, a community town. Yeah. But a nice community town. Like probably I'm trying to think of the equivalent in a in I can't even think of the equivalent. But yep. nice community town, really green and nice and lovely. Yep. Uh, and there was there's a, other shops there as well. But John Lewis was pumping and I thought it's like I've come back to nineteen ninety two and gone into Maya and there were people everywhere. And I'm not sure I think John Lewis owns uh, Waitrose, so mm-hmm. which is that it's like the Mark and Spencer food store, yep. really good high end food store. I think the share price is still has struggled with along with department stores globally, but this was an unbelievable scene. That it was a great retail experience. I actually, still, I don't mind shopping at department stores. I don't love it. Some yeah. things, like if you want to buy a pair of jeans, I'm much better buying that than buying online because I can at least try them on and stuff. So, and I hate returning stuff because it's a hassle. So, then there's some utility to department stores. We've got to have that critical mass. I think so. But you know, you you're referencing the seven powers. Yeah. Strategic high, high advantages. Sure, what's his name? Yeah, I forget his name. Um, and so, I, and so you talked about scale and you talked about network effects. So I think one of the interesting things that Myra's tried to do, and if I was running that business, which I won't be, I would double down on this, is this cornered resource idea. Yeah. So 25% of their revenue comes from these concessions that they have exclusive. inside their stores. And some of them are exclusive, some of them are yeah. not. But certainly for me, when I look at Maya, what I think about is 4 million active customers mm. that have my card what can I do with them? Yeah. And what I don't want to do with them is sell a pair of Adidas shoes that everybody else can sell because yeah. probably I'm going to compete on price. And like the bit of the online business that we haven't talked about because I made it sound all rosy and nice, <laughs> but I'm much too cynical for that in reality. And so actually probably a lot of their online sales are just price competition sales where it's they had the lowest brand. price a, a bit. But, you know, when I go and buy my like Aesop body yeah. wash, if they're the cheapest, they're, I'll buy the from them, right? The brand, yeah. And so um, – and so what I think is that the big opportunity for a department sort of stay relevant, in the past, they had a cornered resource. Their cornered resource was, you just couldn't buy this stuff from other places. It was all in one place. That yep. was also a scale advantage. It had lots of benefits. Today, I would be doubling and tripling down on the idea of exclusive deals and cornered resources. I think, to me, that would be one of the key ways to monetize this four million four and a half million active customer base without having to resort to competing on price and eating a margin. It's one of, the, one of my favourite businesses in the world. Their gross margins, by the way, are about 35%. Yep. They came down a bit, but that, that's kind of where their yep. gross margins are. One of my favourite businesses in the world is Costco, which is not a department store, but it's, oh, a, yeah. it's a retail you, store. You, Charlie Munger, and four billion other yeah, people on earth. And yep. it's worth 500 billion for a reason. Yep. But that's a store. Yeah. Uh, and they, they, they no, know, you're right. SKUs and membership base and all that kind of stuff. They make most of that 70% profit membership as per – that acquired episode, which is incredible. Yep. Uh, they also sell travel, probably one of the best travel businesses in the world is Costco Travel. Oh, that's very interesting. They, yeah. they have a very high high end demographic. Their demographic is a much Yeah, they've got a very high end demographic, absolutely. People think Costco's sort of people who are trying to get saving. It's it's rich people because yeah. right? they can afford yep. to place yep. in the house. Yep. They can afford to pay for 100 rolls of toilet paper or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so, so department stores aren't dead. They're just, it's just that certain models work. Walmart's still an incredible business. Yeah. Uh, they're not technically a department store. They're a, kind of more of a hypermart. But- so what can work? So what's I'll say this as my last comment on this. What's cr- crazy about this? And obviously, like I don't give investment advice to buy Myra or don't buy Myra or whatever. Yeah. But what's crazy is this: marketplace businesses online yeah. have got this 
huge valuation attached to them now. Yeah. They don't make money. <laughs> I mean, a few do, a bit. Like Amazon, take them out of the equation. Most market Amazon marketplace might not make money. Well, they would Amazon from their advertising. Well, they've kind of destroyed it with media now. Yeah, and I th- so I think they'd make – you can't – because you can't separate Amazon because they've got yeah, the, they got the media right, business right. and they've got the FBA fulfilled by Amazon business that they the make tons of money. No media business, yeah, that's yeah. right. And, like, the FBA is powered yeah. through their marketplace. Yeah. So you can't really break that out. No, but right. general – you know, everyone's piling into marketplaces. Temple and Webster's got a marketplace. Yeah. Really – the online marketplaces are no match for the offline marketplaces, which are called department stores. Yeah. Like no online marketplace is making $70 million of net profit in Australia, as far as I know. Of, the other benefit of, of a Maya versus a Temple or whatever is it's really easy to return stuff. So you can buy something online, like yeah. a return in the store. Yeah. It's really, I, I hate going to the post to you know, wrap it up. Like it's, so I'd much rather return to, and remember when we had brands exclusive and other fashions yeah. stuff, uh, it was, we got smashed by these department stores because we just couldn't – the returns was a nightmare. You get one pair of shoes back and you have to try and sell it. And you have to, it's, it's just a, it's something you don't want to have to deal with. Well, returns are the scourge of the industry in yeah. fashion for a start. Yeah. We can talk about that another time. But anyway, I, I was quite shocked at what a good business Maya was relative to what I had expected. Yeah. And I was quite shocked at how well the offline department store marketplace, how much that outperforms financially, all yep. these online marketplaces with 100%. these huge valuations. Well, so it's, it's a real cognitive bias thing. Everybody thinks, how cool is online stuff? Online's going to rule the world. And everybody thinks, oh, offline's dead, offline sucks. Really, offline makes money. <laughs> and if things yeah. will, eventually things will turn and Maya will get the valuation deserved. I think I agree. I, and it's not a financial advice show, but I'd be much more inclined to buy a Maya than some of these fancy online marketplaces that burn money every day. Well, you know, I think juxtapose that on the flip side, though, with Godfrey's going broke again. You know that there's a tougher economic time in retail because the bellwether is Godfrey's goes broke again? And so, <laughs> every three years. What's that? Every three years. Every, yeah, well. I, I spoke to Tommy Cross a little while ago. who Tommy was – he restored Godfrey's. Yeah. He did incredible – made a bunch of money. And I remember Tommy said – they basically, about six, seven years ago, they just didn't get the stick vacuum trend. They missed Dyson. Oh, I see. They, they, were, they were everything but Dyson. And Dyson yeah. just came and went bang. Yeah. And I think Dyson's, the man's worth like, I don't know, 10 billion now yeah. in Singapore. Uh, but, but yeah, they, they sort of missed that wave and they were sort of dead from there. And then remember the founder, like the 100 year old guy, yeah. brought it back for the 14th time. Passed away not long Jack after. Jack Johnson or whatever yeah. his name is. The same. John Johnson. Johnson or John Johnson. John Johnson. Uh, great name. Yeah, I'll say this about Godfrey's. Like, they basically were a huge, in my view, they were a huge beneficiary from a sleepy industry yeah. with severe information asymmetry between the buyer and the seller. Absolutely. And so they could convince you to buy whatever it was that they wanted to convince you. And Electrolux was effectively their, yeah, their the corn resource. They, they own the brand in and, Australia. Yeah. And it was so- a great deal. I think Tommy may have done that deal where- It's a great deal. We went and just got the license for like infinity or something. But it's a great and now I go online and I can research everything I want to research about vacuum yeah. cleaners and I can see everywhere on the internet where it's cheap and here and there. And, and Dyson's got a better brand. Yeah. Dyson's got their brand and Miller's copied their thing. You know, everyone's copied them and I just think and JB Hi-Fi is selling vacuum cleaners yeah. and and so what's happened is that you had this niche business yeah. that really owned the, all the knowledge in that category mm. and they didn't um, they didn't see the next wave of 100%. what was going on, and they also. But if you compare that though to the shaver shop, yeah, that's still great running business. a pretty good business, yeah, right? Business. And so that's also a niche business. Why have they not been swamped by uh, by JB Hi-Fi and whoever? Well, that's yeah. a longer conversation, right? Yeah. But that could have been Godfrey's. Let's quickly touch before we move on to to Steve. The notion of of businesses that people think they're part, they're past their prime, that, and flight centers the classic. Even yeah. Hello World to a lesser yeah. extent. Hello World made eighty five million dollars last year. Everything Hello World's is 
terrible business. Yeah. 85 million They're bucks. hello money. Yeah. Like no one else is. Lighting's just going to make $300 million yeah. on $24 billion of sales. That is yeah. an unbelievable. Uh, is that their total transaction value? TV, but yeah. So t- screw, screw $24 billion. It's crazy. crazy. I think it's, there were only one or two businesses that turn over that much in Australia. And Flight yeah. is one of them. They're very, maybe the supermarkets. I thought they were dead 10 years ago. But people have been thinking, they've been reading the last rights of Flight for, yeah. for decades. And Screw was one of, I think, one of Australia's greatest ever businesses. He was on, came on my last show. I interviewed yeah. him. Unbelievable guy. Went in my smiley competitors. And one time I was in Fiji and this is during the ridiculous COVID, the end of the ridiculous COVID era. And my son had COVID and even though it was completely fine, of course, because it doesn't affect kids. And we were stuck in Fiji because the idiot Australian government had these stupid rules on 14 days. And I was in the screw and yeah, semi competitive. And screw's going, I'll get on the phone. I'll speak to this person. I'll speak to that person. Screw, obviously, knows much more people than yeah, I do because yeah. he's a $24 billion business versus us. And this is a guy who's like, the first thing he's thought of was how can I help this guy who yeah. mostly we compete against. Oh, I've heard only good things about yeah. him. He's yeah. one of the great guys of Australian business yeah. and he fully deserves his success. And he's a billionaire who we talked about people who who might lose. This is a guy, and him and his wife started the Spices Retreats. His I son know, did 99 bikes, multiple different businesses, done yeah. well. There's no doubt that he's one of the great business and one of the great business families. Absolutely. On that note, I can't wait to bring our very special guest, Steve Huey, arguably the most expert loyalty rewards person in the world. Idea, what's your experience been with SEO across all the businesses you've worked with? Well, I actually had an agency that did SEO at one point in time. And so through that, I, I was not the SEO guy. And through that, I got some insight into just how um, complicated and sophisticated SEO is. And since then, I've tried a variety of different people and solutions, and it's a bit of a mix and match for me. I don't have a very sharp answer for you on that. We're the same. We, I reckon we've cycled through a dozen agencies before we discovered Portal Ventures. And these guys are the real deal. We've actually used them at Luxury Escapes and our SEO traffic has jumped dramatically. We also use them in a business called Bookwell, which I used to chair. And the SEO there was so good, we actually were able to sell the business to the global leader, almost purely based on how much organic traffic we had from SEO. The guys at Portal Ventures work with some of the best Australian marketplaces and e-commerce businesses, including Flipper, Programmer, Mad Paws, Camplify, and Autoguru. These guys are literally the best of the best. Exclusive to Contrarians listeners, the team at Portal will give you a free one-hour consultation if you mention Contrarians. To get in touch with Mike and the team, call them on 1300 121 261 or go to www.portal.ventures. And we're back. Uh, about a month ago, we did an episode or part of an episode. And it was organic. We didn't plan this. I think you asked a great question on airplane or airline loyalty schemes and, and the economics behind yeah, it. Yeah, that was a great episode. It was, I think, I, my, my favourite episode we've ever done. And that segment especially got incredible feedback. So yeah. we thought, we're both friends with Steve Huey, who's the best in the business. He actually runs a business to consult. Well, actually, ask Steve yeah. exactly what he does. But I've been good mates with Steve for probably a decade now, I reckon. Uh, and I've learned an unbelievable amount from him. So let's get him on. He lives around the corner. He's the expert. I would love to enlighten our listeners on some of the stuff that you actually know and that can actually help you flying flat at the front of the plane for virtually no money. You know, I, I love, I'm an accountant. I'm Asian. I love a deal. <laughs> the we best love deal, deal well. I've <laughs> ever, ever came across. Using frequent flyer points to fly first in business class is so cheap. How cheap? Six hundred bucks return to Europe. It's as cheap as you can get. And how much is business class if you pay full whack? You reckon? 
around twelve to fifteen thousand dollars. So imagine you can save over ten thousand dollars every single trip you fly. Like why would you fly economy? So there aren't many caught twenty dollar bills lying on the ground <laughs> in life. Like they're called arbitrages, like arbitrages where you make a riskless profit in some ways. How is it possible that some people, you and I, are, are using points to fly flat and other people like ideas paying twenty grand for first class? <laughs> how, how are we so, so different? Well, well, I have to first. I can say someone has to pay the twenty grand. Otherwise, the plane has to fly. Yeah. I'm not paying twenty grand. <laughs> <laughs> so, as if I would pay twenty grand. <laughs> so, I, I like the people who pay full price as much as I like the people who use on points because someone has to pay for the plane to fly, and then the freaking fly people piggyback on the back of the fact that the plane's already flying and there are some empty seats. So, my background is I'm an accountant, CPA, worked at Macquarie. And I love how you can make something out of nothing. The sheer basis of freaking flyer points is the cost is less than the value. So the cost of getting the points and then swapping those same points for the business class seat is less than half the price. Yep. And but people don't understand. And I don't know why they don't understand, but I've, I've narrowed it down a couple of things. You, you probably require four levels of calculations to yep. get to the answer. And mm-hmm. most people stop at two. Yeah. Let me ask one question before we go into the detail of that, which is you like this idea that someone has to pay for the expensive seats. And we had a conversation about the economics of how frequent flyer programs work. Do you think someone still has to pay in order to make this viable? Or do you think that given the economics of this industry and the way the points are bought and sold, actually all of the seats could be filled in the premium classes on planes and it would still be economically viable? Probably not. Do you think someone yeah, has to, someone has to pay some ridiculous equivalent cost per point because you could translate it into yeah, a cost it, per point. Everything's cost per point. Yeah. But if you think about the original reason frequent flyer points existed is airlines had empty seats. They didn't want to sell it for hundred bucks. Like, so you got a plane about to fly and there's five seats, three seats in business, three seats in economy, so six seats left. You could sell those seats for hundred bucks. It's profitable because it's going to yeah. be zero. But airlines don't want to do that because people just won't buy. It's stuff to their economics. They want people mm. buying early. Not but they late. did do it as selling upgrades for a hundred dollars. Upgrades different because you're already locked in. I know, as, but that, as, is, as, but as that is one way they filled the seats. Like originally, and they a yep. bit still. I'm sure still will talk about that. But like they they said to economy passengers, you can pay this very cheap rate to upgrade to yeah. business, but what they're giving up is the certainty of flying business yeah, and, class, and right? which is annoying. Plus, you can't do that with economy. So you, and most yeah. frequent flyer redemptions are economy. Yeah, so that's, a good, that, that's yeah. a good point. That's a so good point. That's a good point. So the reason why airlines did it is- Seems allergic have, to economy of frequent flyer points, <laughs> I suspect, but we'll, we'll, we'll get, get there to it. Yeah. Uh, but the reason why airlines did it originally is they didn't want it. They had these seats. They want to discount it. Frequent flyer points is a way to discount seats without really discounting. You're hiding the discount. Plus, you're giving that discount to your most loyal customers. Yeah. And you give it, so that okay, obviously it's enough, changed. Steve, sense. we'll talk about Let's go now. So let's go through these four calculations. Yeah. So- in, in, in broad terms, like for example, flying Europe, yep. Europe business class, you need about 300,000 points. So every single airline charges a little different amount, but average 300,000 points. It's one way. It's a return, 300,000 points. Okay. Yeah, yeah. For one person, 300,000 person. Yeah. person return. Business yep. class. So keep in mind to buy that same ticket is anywhere between twelve and $15,000 mm-hmm. anytime. The magic is these days, well, actually, before, you used to be able to only earn points by flying. Mm-hmm. So in order to for you to earn 300,000 points, you have to do a lot of bumps on seats flying. But about 15 years ago, they started issuing points via credit cards. So if you spent money on certain credit cards, Amex, Visa, whatever, they gave you points for your custom. And that's become hugely profitable for the airlines to sell their points to the partners, to the credit card companies and give to you. 
So what I've worked out is the sheer numbers that you can basically score 300,000 points at two cents each, which means it's $6,000. So, so for example, you spend $300,000, get 300,000 points, mm-hmm. transaction costs are 2%, so 300,000 points equals $6,000. Add some ticket taxes when you book it, and you can swap that for $15,000. This ticket. is using like a pay.com that I use, for example, or, or, yeah. they're, or putting on Amex and charge, getting charged that Amex fee, essentially, or the, or the yeah. credit card fee. Yeah. So most people say, well, I'll never use my card if there's a transaction cost, mm. which is true, which is great because if you can collect up enough points for free, that's the cheapest. Yeah. Yeah. But most people can't. It's very hard to collect 300,000 points purely for 0%. Your, your, your kind of mathematical business case on this is – you can arbitrage a fifteen thousand dollars seat for six thousand dollars plus a few transaction yeah, fees. Correct. Yeah. yeah. On repeat. Yeah. Or if you can give, somehow get points for free by using Even Facebook or whatever. So yeah. If you're a business, if you're a business owner and you put your you put your Facebook, not oh, you get to a point where they stop, stop don't allow you yeah. anymore. But if you're a, certainly if you're a small business owner, you're putting ten grand a month on Facebook or twenty grand a month on Facebook. That's three hundred thousand points a year, and you're not paying any transaction costs. Well, I tell you, I mean, you'll, you'll love this, Steve. So. <laughs> So I tell you what I've done historically in my businesses. So you've got all of these search and social paid channels and you don't really – ideally you would never pay for the cost of that, but unfortunately that's not how business works. You have to pay them eventually. So the two things I try and do is figure out how can I pay the least possible and um, also how can I take as long as possible to pay it. That's ideal because then you can run negative cash conversion and receive the money – for the thing that you ran the ad for before yep. you have to pay for the so, ad. And so you can get accounts with Google and they'll give you 30 days or whatever yep. it is. And so the way, what I mean, what I've done for years, and we're talking about you know, millions of dollars a year of yep. ad spend, is they take almost anything, the, Google and Facebook. And so you go and just whip out an Amex and you can't pay less, but you can get something in return. And what you get is effectively free business class or first class trips for life when you're doing yeah. this. And instead of paying in 30 days, you're paying 45 days or better, right? Yeah. And so I think people that are buying paid media and not putting it on credit cards, it's insane. It's insane. Yeah. It's really and presumably like that's what TV, you, radio, broadcast. Right, yeah. Yeah. And so presumably that's a big source of points for people that you deal with from like the self-employed industries with online businesses is yeah. they put their but, spend but all on. types of expenses now. So what you talked about is one way to get a lot of – cheap points, but now you can pay rent, you can pay wages. You, you can use pay pay. Do- I'm a shareholder Anything. in pay.com that yeah. I use, I disclose that, and I'm a very small shareholder. So explain that. So pay.com, and there are other um, people who do this as well, pay, pay are probably, so Damien Waller uh, backed it, uh, and Ed Alder's the CEO and the founder, Ed's a great guy. Well, I, so, I select you know, founder. Next to Ed, yeah. yeah, so Ed's yeah. done a great job. These guys are growing absolutely like gangbusters, but you can pay anything, your tax, your school fees, whatever. They take a small, a tiny cut. You obviously pay the credit card fee, but I think it's around 2%. You know, yeah, pay with that's it. right, maximum, yeah. yeah. And, and, so, yeah. and the downside risk, there's a few other of those businesses, B2B, pay, I'm not trying to yeah. sh- call yeah, out yeah, the competitors. Yeah. Um, should use pay.com.au, but yeah. – um, <laughs> but, um, the downside risk with those we should flag is if the company did go broke between you them charging you yeah. and then on forwarding the, the money, yeah. 
you like let's say you paid the ATO, the tax office, yeah. they charge you and then they remit it to the ATO and charge a fee. If they went broke and weren't holding the money in trust, which presumably they're not, between you paying them and them paying the ATO, you would you'd be yeah. very unlucky, but you would lose the money. Which is you, why you'd you be an unsecured creditor in that business. Yeah, which is why you want a more reputable That's right. which, paid cop. Yeah. And I'm not suggesting I go broke. Like yeah. Damien built I select he's yeah. a reputable guy. <laughs> yeah. But um but yeah, I mean those businesses have been revolutionary, right, Steve? Yeah. And well actually on that point then you, because you're paying on a credit card, you have a chance to have a chargeback because what you bought exactly, yeah, exactly. never got Well, that's actually a great point. That's a great point. Yeah, that's an excellent so you're, point. You're, you're protected. Yeah. Well, you see, when it's just me and you, I can get away with saying these kind of things <laughs> exactly. that are semi-true, but Steve will just pull me up in. <laughs> I can see that point immediately. <laughs> yeah. so, you, so I think so whenever I've spoken to you over the years, there's sort of two – Two things you've taught me really well is one, what credit card to use yeah. and when to use it. So kind of the same thing. So it's the earning the points and then it's the spending the points. There's two separate, yeah. really two separate education pieces one needs to go through to understand what, how to work this. Yeah, that's right. The two halves are really important because earning seems easy and obviously there's a bit of calculation behind the earning. But the spending, every single airline is a little bit different. So you know, a lot of people actually had a call earlier today. They said, oh, which is the best airline program I should go for? Well, the, the answer actually is, where do you want to go? Because whether it's Qantas, Virgin, mm. Singapore, Qatar or Emirates, they all fly to different destinations and they all charge a different number of points to fly there. They all charge different taxes. But most importantly, they all have different seat availability. Mm. So if you're looking to fly, say, a family of four or six, there's only one airline in the world that will ever have six business class seats. That's cute. SQ or maybe Emirates. Emirates, you're paying 12 grand cash though. We'll talk about that in a second. Or, or no, points wise, to get six, four, six business class seats yeah. in one crack. But if you just had Qantas Emirates points, charge I think, that, that I think Emirates com- fees. Oh, well, I Emirates think Adam's complaining high. about Emirates' fees. <laughs> it, yeah. Emirates has high fees at the moment. Don't get sad on that. It might not be forever. Yeah. Uh, but if people are collecting, say, 10 million Qantas points and trying to find six business class seats, they can be looking till they die. They, you know, can, find, they can find six business class seats. They'll just be on six different flights. <laughs> oh, I, I, I think you're struggling to find that. Maybe uh, you could be right. Although I didn't notice when I checked Qantas in the last few days. Better. That, that, well, I didn't check. I didn't check points for this as it happened. I, oh. I checked pay because I got to do a catapult trip. But um, there's. They're heavily on sale at the yeah. moment, Qantas, on their business and premium. Like I think premium everything classes. is, Qantas, So definitely something has changed in the market. Yeah, 100%. Definitely. There's a lot more supply. Qantas so. on sale, that didn't happen for two years. Yeah, no, so, there's a lot more. So, and Qantas so that's, good news for, that's good news for, for points. Can I just quickly just touch yeah. on the first, um, first leg of the stool there? Is, so we talked about earning points through like your pay.coms, putting your business expenses through. Yeah, and then the other one for people who don't have a business, which a lot of people do, is that you know you sign up to a new car, you get hundred thousand points, yeah. and you can go one, 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 one. Do you, what do you think of that? Is that worthwhile doing? It's worthwhile doing because you think about the options available to you. So as a business owner, it's clear they've got lots of expenses. But as an individual, what other option do you have? You can you can go to Coles and buy gift cards and get, get promos. Yeah. But it would take you yonks to get three hundred thousand points, and if you had a family you will never get the numbers. Yeah. So therefore getting a sign up for bonus credit card is so attractive because they're throwing 100,000 points to you, yeah. 50,000 points to you. Interesting, I noticed in, the, in about five years ago, ANZ started offering their freaking fly card, 100,000 points or 150,000 mm-hmm. points, first year annual fee free. And that was the turning point for the Australian mm-hmm. industry. They single-handedly taught people <laughs> to sign up and then throw the card away. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, mate. but you know, I just I did read an, you interviewed for like the Herald Sun or something in the last few days on exactly this topic, and you said, don't maybe it's not the wisest idea to sign up for like six cards a year because that may not be looked on that favourably. But, you know, obviously banks are going to say, you shouldn't do this because it's going to affect your credit score. But we know like banks, are, like lenders are sophisticated yeah. now. They're going to say, what did you do with the card and how many are outstanding? So, um, and so you got to, we got to ask him, like he came in with his big sales pitch, <laughs> which is you can fly to Europe for $600. We've got Mike and Keelan as producers. Yeah. They're going to shoot us if we don't ask him how you fly to Europe for six hundred dollars in business class. <laughs> so give us your, your pitch, Steve. How do you fly to Europe for six hundred dollars in business class? Yeah. So the formula of using points to fly is the points plus taxes, ticket taxes. So the first part is how much does it cost you to get those points? It, in, in some cases, for example, if you got paying expenses like Google, Facebook, and SaaS services. You can, you can earn points at zero cost. Mm-hmm. So you can potentially pick up 300,000 points. And do the credit cards, which thing, 100,000 here, 100,000 there. You yeah, so you get a sign up for 100,000 points, pay bills, collect them up. And for example, uh, Singapore business class is only 308,000 points return to anywhere in Europe. That's if you get that. There's different, there's saver and there's yeah. So there's, you got to get lucky to get four saver fares, but it's doable. Oh, well, 261,000 return is the saver level. Yeah. And 308 is the advantage, oh, really? the more expensive one. So the top price. And then a the ticket you're the most honest. You're the most honest sales guy I've ever come across. <laughs> like there's actually a cheaper way to do something and a more expensive way to do something. And the cheaper way is harder. And so he quotes you the number for the more expensive way. This is the most honest guy we've yeah. ever had. It's the most honest person you've ever had associated with any business that you've ever known is <laughs> Steve. <laughs> I go with the most conservative case. Yes. You can never go wrong. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the Asian the finance guy in you. <laughs> and the promise over deliver. That's what he does. Yeah, yeah. So therefore, you just pay for your taxes and you fly return for six hundred bucks. Well, I mean, uh, uh, like people are crazy if they don't do it. And so you've got to tell us this though about your uh, your business. We should say not only are you the most honest sales guy, but you're also <laughs> the most aggressive marketer ever because you're in here wearing a merch T-shirt, which is which is quite good. Which is what one of those fire danger risks. Yeah. This is ch- cancer flying business class extreme. I love that. You must yeah, like that. I didn't, didn't notice it. Now I looked at it. Your only, your only complaint is that he didn't bring one for you, yeah. and then you've you got, got, got your what's your oh, cap? Some, you got here. I've got, got a hat. merch for you. He's got a cap for us. Merch. There you go. Billion True points merit. club. I've never had a billion points. Yeah. Aspirational. Bill- Aspirational. I'm going to just do it for just for the video, and then I, I can't. Yeah. There you go. Hang on, is that? Just for the video. Oh, you, you got the video? Good. There you I go. Just, just point it. So I can't, I can't keep this hat on. I talked about Emirates My before. My fun cap's very uncomfortable. Don't worry. I, I talked to, we talked about Emirates before. Don't worry about the question I was going to ask him. Just ask oh, your no, question. No, no, just ask your question. Uh, so Emirates actually now charts. So during COVID, there's always a bit of a t- quid pro quo. So talk about Qantas. The problem yeah. with Qantas, everybody's got Qantas. One of the dumbest things Australians do, and I'm, this is not criticism of Qantas, yeah, by yeah, the way. Yeah. This is Qantas genius. This is the seven powers, the power of brand. Yes. Qantas, 80% of Australians get their points, directly sweep it straight into Qantas. Like impossible to get business class in Qantas. Uh, when I was in my brief period- Do you mean they sign up for credit cards that are linked to the Qantas Basically, frequent flyer program? Or just implicitly okay. transfer to Qantas manually, okay. but one of the two. Yeah. So 80% of people do that. But the problem is the supply and demand. So everybody's trying to get these limited Qantas seats. Yeah. Qantas don't even fly that much. They only got a handful. They fly to LA and London and Singapore, but they don't fly that many places. Good luck trying to- When I was chairman's lounge for a bit, I was trying to get four business class flights back from LA to Melbourne. 
I have to get Alan Joyce's approval to get these bloody yes. So forget about it. Like you told us you, and he you, didn't give it to you've us. You've told us previously you didn't get his I didn't, approval. I didn't get his approval. <laughs> which, was I, which I said was the turning point of your true hatred for Alan Joyce. Well, it's not so much hatred. He just I thought it was a terrible CEO. Now, you thought that was the worst. In no, all I, of the I, bad decisions reckon, he has made as a CEO, that was the worst nah, decision he's ever I made as a CEO. I praised him even after that. that um, <laughs> I, then I stopped praising him. Yeah. But, but so if you get out Qantas, if you want to try and redeem business class, Qantas is basically impossible unless you're Stephen looking like 30 times a day and nobody can do that except for Steve's team. So then you look at the other airlines. Singapore is really good, but you need a bit of advance, but it's a bit of advance notice, but there's cheap taxes. So that's yep. really good there. Yep. Qatar is is pretty good, but they only let you buy, book two tickets at a time. So it's a bit frustrating. Uh, Emirates is really easy to get tickets. They charge you 2000 bucks in taxes now. Yes. So for family of four, eight grand one way, 16 grand return. It's almost what you're paying for business class anyway, half the time. Oh, so, still cheaper than paying. Yeah, it's a little so that's what you're paying for one seat or maybe two seats. But remember, you're also using points which have an implicit cost. So, because yeah. you, you can, worst case, cash them out at one cent a point, pretty much. So yeah. points like party point six, but assume you can get one cent anywhere easily at, at economy. So that's got a cost. So yeah. Emirates to me, maybe the Emirates team will, will go back and, and make it more reasonable. But to me, it's actually unusable to use Emirates now for frequent, unless you're so desperate to yeah. fly a business, or, can't do anything else. Or one way, you've already got seats going, going yeah. over there and you need a one-way one seat back. Maybe. I think this is temporary because – Emirates is basically taking a well, fact. I don't know how you found. A I don't know how you found a question in what Adam said. It was like it was like <laughs> the people when they say, "Are there any questions from the audience?" And then one guy, always, al- always seventy five years old, yeah. gets up and gives this long dissertation about his views because no one's listened to him for fifteen <laughs> years, and there's no question. I don't know. You found a question in what he said. That Let is talk. highly talk. commendable. <laughs> Yeah, so your, your question. No, his <laughs> answer. So he thinks, what are you saying? Emirates is what the way to go? Or, no, or what do you think of Emirates? usable now is my question. Well, I, I think Emirates is usable because it, because of the taxes are so high, people are avoiding to book it means that they do have seats. Yeah. And that's still yep. better. Is end of the day, it's all about, not about which one's cheaper, which one compared to buying a cash ticket yeah. is cheaper. It still saves you money. You've yep. still got points and you still got to go. You, so you should book Emirates first if you're going to book <laughs> with points. You can't get points flights. You can't, can't you? Get, maybe two. You can never get four. Well, you don't need your kids in there with you, do you? <laughs> I can't. I, I'll, probably, I'll probably murder me in my sleep if I uh, – You know what would happen if you book two economy, two business and two first is you'd be sitting in business with one of your kids. Which is what happened. I managed to get two – I think it was with SQ on the way back last year. And I booked – sometimes first is cheaper than business. You know, get that anomaly be. where – if because there's different tiers. The first year can be cheaper than the businesses. I got two first class – or sometimes there's no business in this first left because nobody checks first. Yeah. So I managed to get two first and two business – Back and my daughter and wife were in first, and my son. I, can't, I think that's how we how we die, slice and dice. So we got my son a present to compensate. Whatever there was the case, I'm certain that it was not you in first and no, your wife in, in business. No, 100%. Okay. That's the, I, by the way, I've been through that experience, and I happily did that yeah. because it means I've got less to worry about because so other people are being taken care of very well, and it's not my problem. <laughs> I've got a story. My mate was flying. Uh, with his, they're not married anymore, but with his wife at the time back from LA, I think it was. And he, this person works at a big investment bank. He was Platinum One. And so they, and I think they booked economy tickets. They upgraded him to business. I think there was a first on that flight. They upgraded him to business and they didn't upgrade her and he couldn't switch it because, you know, like it's in your name. It was him because he was Platinum One. So he got upgraded and she didn't. I think she was pretty, actually pretty good about it. She sat in economy. He was in business. At one point, she then walked up to say hi to him. Yeah. And in there was like Chris Hemsworth, all Chris Hemsworth's crew, and she's gone off. <laughs> so this guy that was the, that was the end of the marriage right there <laughs> and they yeah they're now no longer so married but no, it was a and so I look at your some of your LinkedIn posts Steve and 
I don't, I'm not on social media much, but I do see my assumption from those photos would be that when there's a first ticket available, you do take the first ticket. Is that right? It is in as in you mean when you're using points and there's a business ticket and a first ticket available, you will go oh, for the first, first ticket. Oh, for, is that for right? Sure. I think life is too short to keep flying business class. If you <laughs> if you can fly first. Oh god, this is severe <laughs> severe travel inflation problems going on. But also first is a better ratio. So you're getting like a often a six, seven to one on Oh yeah. On you're first getting so much bang for bang. If you bang of value. And you know, like you said, I'm into value. So anything yeah. that has great value. You, the the argument it. against that, and this is what my co-founder Jez has argued over the years, is that, well, yes, business costs 12 or 15 grand, but really we're not going to pay. It's mostly businesses paying that. Someone yeah. else pays Someone's that. Someone's paying for Or you're it. super, super rich. But it's pretty rare that an individual like, person pays yep. that much. It's yep. having a little bit more now if you're a bit older or whatever. But so, yes, we value – I know you and I calculate the points per seat and look at this versus that, yep. but really we're inflating the points per the, – the, the cents per, per point because we're not – really going to pay that in the first place? Is there merit to that argument? Yeah, there is because the value is in the eye of the beholder. So if you, if you were not going to pay 10, not going to pay 12, but maximum might pay six, the value of the points does drop a bit. But at the end of the day, having the points just gives you the ability to fly business class. Because if you could fly business class and you could fly economy, why would you fly economy? Like why would you actually fly economy? Just to get the feel of people kicking your seat like, I like I your, your, honest was, your answer was much totally honest at the beginning and then Adam gave you his justification, then you went for that. But his, <laughs> his answer was an emotional answer. Yeah, life right. is too short to not fly. Well, I think his answer was life is too short to fly business. I mean, maybe don't put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> but, like, but like, you know, like it, life, it's much nicer. I'll tell you why I think it's nicer not to fly economy. And then you s- found a way to rationally justify flying it because you don't want to use the emotional argument, which I understand, by no, the way. I, I'm going to give the reverse argument to that. That's more Jez's argument than mine. My, I think my corollary to that is you kind of forget about the six thousand. You assume you naturally assume the highest price for business when yep. you're when you're flying it, and it's all again. It's about that sort of emotional thing. And I think what's the best meal you can get is a free meal, like my Richard Goyder lunch from from Adir. Yep. The best thing you can get is a flight that you haven't paid for. And I know <laughs> points have value, but you know, it feels like you're not really paying. And, for and it. a free meal on board. Yeah, and a free <laughs> meal on board. So that that makes That's it more true. special that the person next to you, the idea next to me, has paid eighteen grand. Yep. I've paid zero, and that makes me feel even better. Yep, yep. You're defaming me so badly <laughs> on this podcast. <laughs> it's a little bit, it's a little bit like buying shares. You buy it at this price, and the next day it's gone up. You're like, yeah, best idea ever. So the fact is, Evan always checks the price yep. of the seat that they've got. And whatever price, it just makes them feel good. And I guess in life is anything that makes you feel good is a winner. Also, let's not forget, I'll tell you why I think it's better to fly business or first class in economy so in, in a second. So forgetting points is just generally. Well, I'm going to – well, obviously well, – this is why I think you should use points and then I'll tell you why I think whenever you cannot fly economy you shouldn't. And it's, it is a real reason. It's not some bullshit reason. Um <laughs> But um, I think you should use points because I was around when Anset went broke and I was very young. You should use your points, don't just accumulate. I lost all those points. Yeah. Also, there's this endless points inflation that goes on, which I'm not even sure it should be lawful to just jack up Absolutely or jack down be. the ratio. Absolutely it shouldn't be. be lawful, right? 100%. Like people have got a particular it's value. It's yeah, and so I'm not sure it should be lawful, but it happens all the time. The t- two months ago with Singapore and Emirates. Yes, exa- exactly. The ratios just get ruined yep. time and t- over time. No one ever says, we're going to make your points worth more. <laughs> and actually there's no reason economically to devalue points, right? It's not like there's – it's like societal inflation because societal inflation happens – 
within the points system. It's already but been factored in. charge more for points. That's fine. I, nobody objects to charging more per, per flight for points. We object to when Amex, and they've done it multiple times, just halve the value. That's right. And so I think if you've got something that's free, you should use it. Yeah. Because the value of it is not going to go up over time, that's for sure. So that's why I think you should use mm. points. I think the challenge is using points is hard. And this is where Steve's business actually is, is really good in that – Using, try and use Qantas, almost forget about it. But people don't think to think of Qatar, Singapore. And you, you've come up with, I was going to, where did you help me? Well, recently? I don't fly Qatar Airlines. I just emphasize that again. For personal reasons. But uh, I was going somewhere, I was going to Bali. And Bali is quite hard because you've got basically mostly 737s. It's not really business class. But Garuda flies a, a three, 350 or 330, 330, which is, has flat beds. I said to Steve, how can the hell the hell can I get Garuda flies? I, I wasn't paying him for this, but I should have been. <laughs> and Steve sends me an article saying, oh, you can go via, because they're part of, what's the Sky Alliance? Sky, which Sky is, Team, yeah. Sky Team, which is the third. So you've got One World, which is the- I hate team. that alliance, Sky Team. Yeah, well, it's, it's, the, it's the others. It's the other alliance, yeah. It's, it's all that's, it's, it's Garuda, the, it's who else is in there? China uh, Airlines, which is the Japanese, the Taiwanese airline, they're in there in Sky Team. Eva's in there, Delta. Oh, is Eva in there? I thought, yeah. Yeah. oh, oh yeah, China Airlines Virgin is in is in Star, in Star Alliance. Oh. One of them's in that one and one of them's in Star and none of them are in One World. That's yeah. my problem with the Taiwanese airlines. Yeah, but anyway, so I, I said to Steve, what, what can I do? And he goes, he sent me the article and he said, oh, if you've got points, you can go, maybe go through uh, Etihad. But Etihad, I find, is a design. I find Etihad absolutely the worst in yes. terms of points. Uh, it costs a lot. You can never get flights. You can't even log into the site because it's ridiculous. Oh, yeah, it's a trouble. Factor authentication <laughs> thing. Uh, but, he got, but I said, oh, hold on, Delta's in there as Delta. well. I had Delta points in my old city card like 10 years ago. Yeah. And I banged through some Delta points and got business class to Bali, four tickets, like in a second. There's so many ways because the airline system's so complicated. They've got the alliances, the one world, Sky Team, Star Alliances, but then they have their own individual yeah. partnerships and, and they all mishmash across each other. So therefore that means that if you've got points of one airline, you can actually get seats on another airline, mm. especially something that's a bit obscure as well. Yeah. You basically have access to the whole world if you have a whole bunch of different points. Yeah. And I guess the challenge we find in Australia, everyone just loves getting one type of currency Quantum. and just don't want to turn around and have a look some of the That's amazing stuff. So what Steve basically around. taught me is, A, which credit cards do you use? Yeah. Uh, so try and use Amex versus other cards generally. Uh, there are some other bank cards that probably aren't so bad, but uh, yeah. use Amex. Uh, I generally keep my, my points mostly in Amex. Yeah. Just flick it. Now you get it almost instantaneously, so you can keep it in Amex yeah. and flick it. But yeah, I keep it a little bit in each airline. But you can Amex has like 12 parts. I've actually got a US Amex as well, uh, which mm. gives you even more How'd options. you get that? We've got a US entity. But don't you, when you were applying for it, this is this would be a very popular question for the listener base. Yeah. Don't you need a US address? And we've got a US business which has a US address, but that's not your US address. You a, can it's a business card. It? It's not Adam. Schor- it's Adam Schor- oh, I see. Okay, that's very smart. Uh, so at one point, I was actually the. So you used to be able to get the only way you used to be able to redeem on Qatar was uh, via BA because Avios is a company and they runs the frequent flyer programs for a bunch of businesses like Iberian, Qatar, and BA. The only way I used to be able to get. Qatar points was you tr- I transferred my Amex US points to BA. You couldn't do it Australian Amex. Then my BA to Qatar. So it was like a triple roundabout. Uh, but I couldn't do it. And I was trying, I was trying, I couldn't. I called BA, they were useless. Called Qatar, they were useless. And then the car person goes, hold on, I can transfer it here. I said, huh? I, could, I was going to this blank screen. And I realised they geo-blocked Australia. So I used oh, a VPN. So nobody in Australia had ever redeemed the Qatar point till recently at the Amex thing. And I was the only one because I was using the VPN. I was the only one to ever do it from Australia because clearly the, the site didn't even work. So, and, and nobody could understand when I called these airlines. So you had to do, work out these sort of backdoor tricks by getting foreign cards. Like used to be maybe you can get a credit card in Qatar 
or this USBA Amex yep. hack thing, but yep. now it's easier. Uh, but you, what you told me is A, which credit cards to get and to leave it in the credit card and not to transfer it to Qantas, essentially. Yep. Transfer to Qantas if you need to, yeah. but otherwise don't. And then what your, what your real value add is, and people pay you for this, and maybe talk about your business model in a second, but you have a team of experts and yourself, obviously, that just know how to find these seats that the average mortal can't find. Yeah, that's right. So finding frequent fly seats is like fishing, I call it. Every single day it changes. Mm -hmm. So every single day there's new availability. And then when you think about every single airline has their own availability, how many moving parts there is. And then you've got different airlines that can use their points to fly on each other. Uh, and also one of the things you mentioned is like when you go call the airline, they, they don't know what the hell they're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> because they are not specialists. Most of the time they're probably agents just doing random queries and we're coming with a very specialised question. Can you use these points to fly on airline ABC? And they like, well, where, which airline is that? They don't even know that yeah. they're partners most yeah. of the time. Yeah. So I guess that's where we come in. So we love doing this. There's nothing floats our boat better than finding a seat on a seat that can't be found. Well, the dopamine hit of finding for business class or even first class seats for points yeah. Yeah. is unbelievable. So. And so it's interesting, by the way, if you need a Qatari credit card, I'm sure the Hamas leaders have got Qatari <laughs> credit cards. Um, so, um, so I want to tell you why, I don't, why I'm so in favour of flying premium. And then I want to ask you a question about your business, So Steve. premium is in business or first, not premium. Yeah, yeah that's right. Um, so when you take a long flight, and you, this has been my experience, and you're flying in economy, it's pretty much an ordeal because the airline doesn't really want to service you. Like they reluctantly will let you fly with them because you've paid, but you haven't <laughs> paid much. And the level of care that they have for you, you could work out, you know, you work out frequent flyer points and you turn it into a dollar value, but I could work out airline care and turn it into a dollar <laughs> value and say, how much care do you get for the $1,000 you paid in economy versus how much care do you get for the $10,000 business class ticket? And you get a lot more than 10 times the care for the business class ticket. And so it's an ordeal especially as you get older when you're flying an economy. Like, it's not terrible. It's better than not yeah. flying. And I'm, I'm, I do not want to be cancelled for white privilege, okay? But This could be our last episode. But it's it's not very pleasant. And if things go wrong and you miss connections or whatever it is, like it can be pretty difficult to solve that problem. Mm. The minute you move into a premium cabin, that travel experience turns from something you just want to survive and get through to part of your holiday experience. And I think that is the best argument for using points to fly um, these premium cabins, business and first. If you go and you can use your points to fly first class to wherever you're going, then part of the holiday that you will remember with your partner will be the flight. That will be part of the holiday. And if you're flying economy, points paid, whatever it is, then that is just something you have to get through to get to your holiday. Absolutely. That is my biggest argument of why. Because yeah, absolutely agree. That's how I feel about it. Yeah. How does a guy that works at Macquarie, your wife is also a high flyer, right? Yes. <laughs> so, um, so how does someone that works at Macquarie and had a good job there and was earning good money go and quit all of that and somehow you're earning a good living doing this and this is paying your bills? Like just before you – like the question I'm most interested in is talk to me about the demand for this and who's using your services and like why is this such a good business? It's such a, well, I'll tell you how, how I got started. I actually got a voluntary redundancy after 11 years at Macquarie. Yes. So they gave me a brown paper bag of money and said, thanks very much. And I'm like, <laughs> thank you very much. And so it took six months off and then this idea came to me in that break. Right. So there was no direct transition. The people that use us is 
Number one, anyone who's got points already, accumulate it somehow, and business owners. So anyone who's got a certain number of points, should you see what number do you think? Uh, probably at least 300,000 points. Okay, not that many. Couple, not that many. Per person or a couple? Uh, per person, because then 300,000 points gets you a return business class yep. to Europe. Yeah. And then obviously anywhere in between. But you can do that, as you just said. You can go and find a couple of good credit card deals, sign up deals, do them, and then yeah, that's call right. Steve, basically. Then we can help you. And for a success fee, we'll find the flights and we'll book them for you. Yep. And then you, you take off. The customers we most like to help and we most do help are business owners. Because why always to think about, well, how do you keep earning points? So for the individual who signs up credit cards, they might only have enough points for one flight every two years. and Happy, but they're not coming back that often. But business owners, I just see the opportunity because they've got all these bills to pay. So they can continue to reoccurring points on a, on a massive scale, some yeah. big, some small. That means that we can book flights from them every year and I'll get sent photos of them in champagne, <laughs> drinking free champagne. Oh, whenever I see comments under your posts on LinkedIn, people are – like your NPS would be 100. <laughs> like people are in love with the service Obviously, that you provide. Your service isn't free. You've got, a, you've got yeah. staff to pay and, and expertise. So how does the business model work? You charge – because you've changed it a little bit over the years. So what's your current – because you charge – this is like a, effectively a reward fee for yeah. you to, to find yeah. them. So we charge $950 each way for business class seats mm-hmm. to find them. So there's no fee if you don't, we don't deliver. So it's only a success fee. And what that means is that if you have the points and you want to say go to Europe, paying us say $1,900 return per person plus taxes mm-hmm. is hell of a lot cheaper than ten or $15,000 mm-hmm. cash price. So we still save them a whole chunk of money. But on the, on the buy side – or about two and a half. Uh, sorry, and the time. So, so oh. You save much time because even the best, like you've taught me a lot and I still take, I spend hours and hours on this stuff. So if you're a, if you're a, a dear whose time's very valuable, then it's, it makes sense to pay you a couple of grand because you're going to spend five hours and yeah. make, actually, so time, let alone the fact that most people can't even do what you guys do because you actually know where to look. Yeah, and plus you have to like it because Adam, I know you like it. So you search for it. But if you didn't like it, imagine – forcing yourself to search. It can be frustrating. Like, like, I often search 30, 40, 50 different routes, yeah. different airlines, and, you, yeah, and you're yeah. striking out, striking out, striking out. It's actually pretty demoralising yes. until you find the right one. You and I believe Rusla and Kogan have got, have got the two largest spreadsheets <laughs> on planet Earth for frequent flyer points. <laughs> my, my tactic is usually I book super early. So I'll, I'll as soon as the, uh, it opens, often to the minute, I'll jump on and book it. Like oh, I, my God. You're I booked so organised, Adam. I booked a London to Marley. So Marley's capital Maldives. I'm going there in July. BA flight twice a week off-season, more regularly yep. on-season. And BA, to get to Maldives from UK is really annoying if you're not flying BA because you've got to go like Qatar, Dubai, whatever. It's, it's, you've got to stay overnight. Yeah. Really, or sucks. Singapore. Or Singapore, but it's, that's way out of the way. But BA did straight over overnight. Amazing flight. It's the perfect flight. <laughs> and it's a really good air. It's, I think it's a, it's a new 787 they use or a 350. It's a good flight, a good plane. Uh, they give four... Best case for business seats for the flight. You don't get those. You don't jump on with a minute and over. You just yeah, won't get it because some yeah. some other person in London's doing the same thing. So it's a bit yes. of a it's a race, and so you've got to be really well organised. So I book my trips a year out. Uh, I'll discuss with yeah. say, yeah, where we're going to go and we'll book it. So as soon as I can, I book it. Whenever I leave it late, and I'm telling my mum I'll try and book her a flight sometimes, and she'll always leave it last minute. I say, well, just tell me earlier, and I'll get it for you. But if you leave it for a month before, I can never get it. Yeah, right, so that's that's a big one. But that's the thing about using points is about understanding how the system works. So don't don't put your cash purchase methodology onto your point system mm. because you got you got clash and you could be disappointed. So so the other part of our service is the planning service, mm. is that every year people want to go somewhere, but they don't think about it until they're about to go. So you think twenty twenty four, 
you must have in your ideas, I want to go Euro, I want to go here, but maybe you might want to go June, maybe you might want to go September, but most people don't even get around to it till closer. If you do that with points, then you're struggling because you've left it too late. But if you could think about it earlier, and that's what we do. So we plan your travels, yep. we work out how many points you need, and then we look at your business expenses, how can you earn them, which cards you get, how you should pay your bills. And basically now you've got a system no, that's earning good. points, using points, and you never have to fly economy again. That's sort of our, our motto. Yeah. Never fly economy again. I'll tell you how last minute I am with travel. <laughs> so there's a story that I've got a cousin called Rob Marginberg, who's one of the founders of a, a market research business called Quali, which actually Luxury Escapes has used. You just might not know you've used them. And he tells this story where he says to people, do you know how last minute a deer is? I thought <laughs> I was last minute. I once caught up with him on the beach in Tel Aviv and he was with his family, including two kids. And I said, oh, where are you staying tonight in Tel Aviv? And he said, that's me. I said, uh, I'll get on to hotels.com in the next couple of hours <laughs> and figure it out. <laughs> that doesn't work with points. No, I, I'm a, that's my problem. My, pro- my main problem with points is exactly what you've just said. Like I treat it like, where am I going to go in two weeks' time? Let's see what points are available. And like you just don't get that. You just don't get points in this. Y- yes and no. If you're flying a single person, yeah. last minute it's, seats. It's, yes, that's true. possible. Yeah, that's true. So in four hours' time, yeah. you, if you wanted to fly tonight, there'll be <laughs> loads of seats. I didn't know that. Yeah. I'm, I guess I never checked it. You can book up to four hours in advance. So, yeah. There are point seats. Like they reopen seats at some point, don't they? Because this, this will be the very last chance for an yeah. airline to fill those seats. Yeah. And they're not going to sell the seats cheap money. I never knew that. That's a really interesting point you yeah. made there, that last, last, last minute, right. which idea would be perfect for. Yeah. Per- so I'm going to ask you a few quick questions. So we'll see if you can answer quickly. I just gave Adam some quick questions. Each one took about two and a half hours <laughs> for him to answer. So let's see if you can answer quick questions. Points in economy, worthwhile or not worthwhile? Using points. Yeah. Only if you have to. Okay, last resort, as a last yes. resort. But domestic's probably fine. Domestic, yeah. You, oh, okay, well, let's ask that question. <laughs> points for domestic travel. For sure. Absolutely. Yes. It's, it's actually yes. better than international yes. often. Interesting. I, can, I, think, I actually think the best, absolute You see, that's the thing. Is. Even when I ask you a fast <laughs> question, it's not even a question to him. No, no, come on, say what you want to say. Well, you give so, me an idea. No, no, come on. I think, I think one of the best values is domestic business class. But the question is, is it yes, worth it? But sure. I think Qantas charge like 1800 bucks Melbourne, Sydney. Yeah. That ratio is incredible. It's like- 14 cents a point or something. Yeah, it's only 36,000 points return. But the main argument for that would be why you're flying business class from Melbourne to Sydney. Yeah, yeah. I I would give you an argument in response to that, by the way. There is actually a reason for that, but let's not go into that I would say, why not? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, my view on travel, as with many people, changed completely during COVID. And so, you know, like like being sandwiched if you don't have to be is not interesting to me. Okay. Uh, My next question is upgrades with points. So I book economy, upgrading to business, taking away the argument, which is you lose the certainty, which is a good argument. but It's a pretty big argument. Yeah. But if it's there, is that a good use of points or not? It's very difficult. Upgrades is purely a request. So most people don't understand. They think they're the only one requesting an upgrade. But the whole plane is requesting an upgrade. So what happens is the airline takes it as a request. So basically it's like a wait list for a yes. restaurant. You make your request and then you wait. Yeah. About 48 hours before departure, the airline works out well how many empty seats you've got and then they allocate it based on a ranking system. Yeah. So if you're platinum one, platinum blah, 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 and then if you're paid fully p- – if you pay for an expensive ticket versus discount economy, right? All those factors get so they've got a complicated in. algorithm. How many yeah. people in the group? So you would do well, Adam, because you've got that 
What's the Virgin Chairman's Lounge Beyond. called? Beyond. Well, I, actually, I just found when I, when I was Chairman's that Qantas treat Platinum One better than Chairman's. They make a big fuss out of Chairman's, but yeah. Platinum One is which is the most frequent. Because they pay. Yeah, 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 they makes, pay for, yeah. yeah that's so money they, in the they bank. They treat them the best. Is so. it called Beyond the Virgin? Beyond's the Chairman's of Virgin. So, that, so you would get good. You would be high ranking because I basically of that. never get upgraded. I should say, like, if I ever upgrade, it's always using points when I book. Well, there aren't many. Upgrade. There aren't many business seats on domestic Australian no. flights. But even that's in general, truth. I never get upgraded. My next question is. The non-reward seats on Qantas, any seats, Virgin points and Qantas, plus points plus pay, yes or no? No, Give terrible, the, the worst. Yeah. Terrible. Yeah, I know you. I know your view on that. <laughs> yeah. as well. You're like it's terrible. Paying taxes with points when you book tickets. It's the same as points plus pay conversion. So right. don't. Conversion. So don't do it. Yeah, don't do it. There's a point where you, know, you have the sliding scale. There's a point where you, just, you can calculate it. Yeah. You want. It's usually the middle, but not always. Depends yeah. on which one it is. Virgin, you better off go all. Well, actually, yeah, you should always, uh, in my view, you should always go minimum points and pay the taxes. Yes. And then pay it on your credit card and it activates your travel insurance. Because otherwise, yeah. if you pay nothing, yes. that's point. you get no travel insurance. That's exactly what I do. That's, yes, absolutely. I totally agree with that. <laughs> um, so, uh, no point. The next question is booking things other than flights with points. Kettles, iPads. Not kettles, but hotels. But maybe that's the same as booking a kettle. Okay. So oh, there, there's a sliding scale of value. So gift cards, so roughly gift cards you get half a cent per point. Any seat you get about 0.7 of a cent. Economy you get about 1.8 cents. Hotels you get about 1.8 cents. And then business and first you get three to six or 10 cents right. per point. So not saying no. Actually lately- well, Bonvoy's not too bad. You get some good, good um, I'm, I'm married Bonvoy when you transfer. Yeah, it. but that's still using points, but you're not using direct points. It's a, it's a transfer still. Yeah. But, but just if. The second part of the answer your question, some of these airlines now have these sort of like moments or experiences mm. started, and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. You get tickets to the tennis or the Formula yeah. One, then that's good value. That's good value, you, okay. You potentially, number one, may not want to spend cash. Yeah, exactly. So the Formula One, Formula one Paddock Club, so for example, I think Emirates uh, or Qatar had a deal where you can yeah. use your points. So that's like a $10,000 ticket. That you can use your points, right? I used. To, I bought my um, father-in-law and brother-in-law uh, Arsenal, like it was an, a regular premise. Yeah, I see that. <laughs> uh, an Arsenal thing, and um, it was like in a box and a full catering. It was. Yeah, it wasn't actually that expensive. It's yeah. pretty reasonable. Oh, that's interesting. So those experiences might be good. Uh, when I stay in a hotel, should I go and accrue hotel points, or should I go and accrue frequent flyer points? And let's say I can't do both, is it better to accrue frequent flyer points with an airline partner or accrue the hotel points? Uh, that depends on how many hotel points you think you can accrue because if you don't get enough points to redeem, What's then those points are virtually like zero. Yes. So if, yeah. you, if you can't get enough hotel points and you flick it to your airline, at least you're getting something. So maybe that – because I know you're going to wrap me up and maybe that's my point that I'll finish with on these fast questions, which is this. These organisations – and it's not just hospita- like travel businesses, it's all businesses giving out points yeah. – but one of the ways that they operate – is that they just assume this huge pool of people are never going to redeem their points. And certainly that is true if you go and stay in a ton of different hotel chains and you've accrued all these points across all these different chains, you're never going to use any of those points We did some work around that uh, because obviously we sell hotels and most people tend to be a member of a core Marriott Hilton. Because it's free to join. Everything, yes. The real benefit is if you you stay in it, say you Marriott, uh, Bonvoy, you want to get to 50 nights to get your your platinum, which is free breakfast and club. So you want to... 
and or go to core live uh, live limitless, and, and you get the same thing with them. So yeah. you want to really focus on one chain. Uh, much the opposite to airlines. Mm. Hotel, airlines you want to be promiscuous because you're yeah. transferring. Hotels absolutely focus on one, and you get your breakfast and your lounge. My approach in life, in general, is that there are benefits for true loyalty and so they call them loyalty programs with airlines but they're not really loyalty programs anymore because of of what you've just said but in life like if you're choosing in business if you're choosing a supplier an agency or whatever pick someone that you think you can use for 10 years and the kind of service that you get from them is completely different to just somebody that goes and uses them ad hoc and I think that that is also true for hotel programs. Like just be, try and be loyal to one thing because the status that you get, unless it's a program like Hilton where there are one tri- – well, no di- the problem is a lot of these programs, there's no difference between the second top tier and the top tier. Gold and platinum or gold and diamond, often there's not much like, of a difference. You've got to get to that, that – um, so for Qantas, for example, you need to get to gold to get to lounge. Yes. And to see what's useless. Bonvoy's the same. Gold, well, gold for Bonvoy's, Marriott Bonvoy's useless. Get to platinum and you're laughing. Getting to titanium ambassador isn't that much better. No, I think that way about Virgin. Like gold is really good and platinum, yeah, Same. I can get free free whatever those premium economy seats are. On, Virgin is almost on Virgin. Economy, you know, X. economy X. I yeah. can get a free economy X on platinum, that's it, yeah. but that's really the only thing. But Qantas has a different lounge in Melbourne, Sydney, so there actually is benefit in yes, platinum. Yes, I agree. I agree. I think on that note, we, we really do have to wrap it up. Steve, you've been brilliant. Thank you. I think you've always brilliant. Uh, well, and quick, how do, you, how, do, how do people find you if you want to get those business class seats? And yeah, iflyflat.com.au and we'll, we'll, we'll find them for you. I strongly recommend. I've used your service for, for many years and obviously they've helped me out many times. So, My last you. comment before takeout. Bye-bye, Steve. Last comment before we close the episode. Yeah. A bit of trivia for you. Yeah. So Keelan, who talked about his case before, yeah. last week we spoke about rental, close the rental businesses, yeah. rent the runway. Yep. Keelan's surname is Ferrari. Unfortunately, not related to Enzo Ferrari, <laughs> but he is related to Ferrari formal fashion oh, hire. Oh, really? One of the original. Oh, my, my year 12. We all did. We all yeah. did. So there you go. So Killen is, is clothing hire royalty. royalty. Absolute royalty. There we go. I didn't know it was royalty. On that note, I'm going to get a new suit and we'll leave. So thanks, guys. We'll see you next week. Absolutely. Thank you, Thank you for listening to The Contrarians with Adam and Adir. If you want to submit a question for the show, please send a voice recording to Adam J. Schwab at Instagram. Today's show was produced by Mike Liberale. Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. Please give us a rating and don't forget to tell your friends. We'll be back next week for our weekly analysis of all things growth and tech.